never believed it. I, I thought you were a myth. Well, I'm not. But I will tell you something that is. The belief that human beings are kind. No, Caesar. There are some. Oh, a handful, perhaps, but not most of them. Oh, they won't learn to be kind until we force them to. We can't do that until we are free. How do you propose to gain this freedom? By the only means left to us. Revolution. But it's doomed to failure. Perhaps. This time. And the next. Maybe. But you'll keep trying. You, above everyone else, should understand. We cannot be free until we have power. How else can we achieve it? You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, folks, we're back live and direct. This is the Afro Nerd, and welcome to the Grindhouse, courtesy of Afro Nerd Radio Productions. The call-in number, you know the drill. By now, you should really know the drill. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Always giving you a fully packed show of fire, facts, and just overall fun. The gang, I think, is all here. Um, we have, of course, the uncanny Daryl B. waiting in abeyance. We have the lovely Claire Linnae. I see that she has come up on screen. And, of course, we have Captain Kirk. So the gang is all here, people. Listen, you know this by now. <laughs> we have to give you a full meal. Not only do we have rambunctious discussions, but we also give you Urban Alternative Groove, Black Rock and Roll, Psychedelic Soul. I must give you this meal because you're not, you're, you're malnourished. I'll be blunt with you. You're not getting the real deal when it comes to what's really out here musically. So I'm going to give you what I always give you, the best music that I think you're not really getting. This goes with not just rock music from people of color, but also certain mixes that you're not really hearing. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good music that the, the corporates refuse to give you. So let me just get into it. 
this is a, a person we haven't heard from in a while, actually, uh, Jamiroquai, the group Jamiroquai. So this is a mix, Jamiroquai, James Brown, and the Gorillas. I feel good. And I do feel good, believe it or not. So let's groove. We'll be right back, and we'll get into it. January and normally suck. 
shall we begin? Yes. Yes, that's the case, isn't it? Uh, a man that does not suck, unless he disagrees with me, which is, well, you know. Anyway, he is the uncanny Darryl B. of all people. Rest in peace to Richard Hatch. Rest in peace to Chavo Guerrero Sr. Both of you, profound influences on my life. Thank you for the memories, guys. Yeah, we got hit again, didn't we, Darryl? Wow. Uh, Richard Hatch, you know, he had such a great uh, return with BSG as a rebel leader. And then he looked healthy then, but that was like 10 years ago. But damn, man, 71 still. Uh, what was it, pancreatic cancer, I believe he had? I believe so, yeah. And, but he and still just, looked uh, fit. He still looked fit. Yeah. That's that's the thing about this thing. It's uh, it's not good. We'll just say it's not good. Yep. Well, folks, you hear the music, you know what that means. Our own Wonder Woman, fiery, and we've seen the footage. She can actually kick your ass. This is true. <laughs> she is. <laughs> well, hey, it's true. I saw, the, I saw the footage. She is our West Coast correspondent, Claire Lenay. Let's get into it. Claire. Wonder Woman. <laughs> Woo! How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing very well. We just came back from a snowstorm, Claire, and uh, although they tell us we don't have uh, global warming, but it's like 50 degrees, <laughs> so the snow is coming and going, thankfully. So I'm, I'm glad about that. So I'm good. Good. I'm glad to hear you're in good spirits. Um. All right, let's let's get into this. We have a lot to cover, folks. Um, Daryl, I'm gonna start, I'm just gonna go all, all the way around. Um, before we get into uh, a discussion on our favorite vampire films, this is something that the uh, the captain came up with, and I think it's a pretty good one. Cause I I didn't really think about it before, but I do have quite a few vampire films that I I actually like over the years. Um, and he 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 brought this up because of the, dis- the dismal underworld blood wars. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. All right, let, let's, let's talk about um, some of the shows that have, been at, that have already come out thus far. Uh, APB. Did anyone see it? Let's go, to, let's go to The Uncanny. The Uncanny has this ability to see everything, just about. Did you get a chance to see, to see Fox's APB last week? I saw it, and let's put it this way, not a fan. This there's one time I, I I'm not gonna say oh I'm gonna give it a chance no 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 no, no, no. I, 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 wait wait I did not to see I did not to see I let me rephrase that I didn't really did not need a show to see RoboCop from the corporation's perspective I really did not need to see that sorry. No, 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 no. They're going to have to do major changes to get me to come back. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. Uh, Cap, did you see it? No, I, I didn't. Really, when we were talking, what was that, Wednesday night or Thursday night? I thought it was Thursday, right? right? No, I, I didn't get a chance. I, I really didn't get a chance. But I want to say this now. After one episode, that's normally not you. What's going on? It must have been really bad. Listen, well, here it is, Cap. 
Well, here this it is. Your face, huh? In this day and age, all right, this one hits too close to home. Because okay, the, I see, see where you're going. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying it like that. This is, it is hard for me to have fun with a show that essentially uses everything we're railing against that the uh, the government and police forces are misusing that could be proper okay. tools. It, it it took me out of it the first 30 minutes. It did. And I felt like, I, I really felt like I was looking at the pro-Robocop propaganda machine at work. And uh, I'm sorry, no, 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 not. This this would be different if the the... the the atmosphere around everything else was different, but to me, I sat down watching it, and I was like, all right, I'm going to put wrestling back on. <laughs> Understood. All right. Uh, our, our left coast correspondent, I know she tweeted something out about it, and uh, she wasn't too kind, but then again, she is your doppelganger. I don't know if she saw it, but I think that she might be aware of the premise. Claire, any thoughts on APB, whether you saw it or not, or you know what you what you're hearing about it? Um, I did see it. Surprisingly, I didn't expect to 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 come across it, but I did. Um, what I what I tweeted was that the opening, the opening scenes of the uh, of the pilot were basically a complete ripoff of Iron Man One. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, literally, a weapons demonstration. The tinkerer in his shop getting injured by, you know, a spark or, or whatever that invention he's working on. And then the scene in the limo, the scene in the limo was a complete, you know, low-rent version of Tony Stark and, uh, and James Rhodes. I mean, this was like a, a low-rent, badly <laughs> written <laughs> version of the conversation that Robert Downey Jr. and Terrence Howard had on his uh, on Tony Stark's private jet in Iron Man 1. So the whole thing was just like um, raising an eyebrow, like, okay, here we go. So, you know, I kind of had it on the background wasn't paying too much attention to it. I recognize the actress. Um, I think recently she was in that movie, you know, I don't know, what was it, Ben Kingsley, Ryan Reynolds, something about extending, you know, your life. It was just, again, you know, B plus, maybe C, um, you know, level of of science fiction. Uh, A bit of a hackneyed concept, but still. So I recognize her, the guy, you know, in terms of being smarmy and rich and arrogant and brilliant, again, a total Tony Stark ripoff, but he had his moments. I will say that. He had his moments. And you even see it, even see bits and pieces of it in the uh, in the commercials when he, when he does a demonstration for the uh, Chicago PD for his new newfangled invention, a new type of weapon, and he shoots somebody, the guy goes down, you know, it's a different type of taser, and everyone's like all freaking out, and he's like, relax, it's okay, I pay that guy a lot of money. 
So it, it does have moments. I mean, I, I can see what it's trying to do, what it's trying to be. Um, it looks like it's executive produced by Matt Nix, and most notably he did Burn Notice. So I recognize the tone. I recognize kind of the pacing and um, the infusion of, of, you know, espionage type of, of spycraft and technology and stuff like that. So I, I recognize all that. But overall, I see where my doppelganger is going with this. I definitely see where it's 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 novel, but not because ultimately stories about Big Brother, you know, have been around forever. I mean, wasn't it recently that 1984 was like a number one bestseller on uh, on Amazon or something? Like recently because of alternative facts. Alternative uh, facts. So we are living in a very strange time. Like it's all coming true. This is the world that we live in right now, you know. And, and I mean, that's why these stories of the, you know, like all of them, what you see in all these movies, it's just, it's, it feels so prevalent because at some point it did happen or is happening with when you see these uh, super soldier type of stories with Nikita or with, you know, with comic books, you know, Captain America because of, because of the MK Ultra programs and stuff like that. Or now with, um, again, the, the fear that we've forfeited our power and our control because, you know, because of, 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 terrorists and because the the idea that we need the government to to watch our every move so when you see those scenes in apb with the the app the app um some of the false calls false alarms the abuse of it but also on the other end when you see the drones actual drones like following people around i mean there's something about that that is scary there's something about that that is disturbing you know, because again, we're looking at the same thing that we've seen so many times. I mean, didn't we just see this? You know, Winter Soldier with all the uh, helicarriers zeroing in on these targets and satellite feeds and, and, you know, being able to basically have like a, a sniper out and, you know, up in the sky, take somebody out. I mean, this stuff is scary if you really think about it, you know, that level of power. So I totally understand where Daryl's coming from. The show itself is not that great. It's hard to really be fair because, yes, it is a pilot. But, again, 500 shows, we got to keep it moving, you know? I mean, there's just not enough time to get invested in anything if you're not in it, like if you don't love the premise, if you don't love the actors. Speaking of actors, we were joking about how Ernie Hudson, <laughs> Ernie Hudson is a, he's a damn extra <laughs> I'm like, why is he here? Is he gonna do anything? So I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a very, I'm gonna take it or leave it. Like I said, I already know how they do with all this stuff with Minority Report, almost human, sci-fi, technological genre-based stuff, futuristic. I already know how Fox does, so I just don't care either way, really. Well, I gotta say something just for the audience. Let me kind of. Uh, give a bit more information. Again, we're talking about briefly. I'll make it brief and then we'll move along. APB, the new TV series coming out of Fox. Uh, APB, we all know, is an acronym for All Points Bulletin. And it's, uh, Claire's correct. I mean, when I saw this thing, it really is an amalgam of 
of Iron Man, of Minority Report, and certainly RoboCop. I mean, any modern sci-fi trope you can point back to something for the last 25, 30 years, you will see it in this pilot. Um, I begrudgingly, begrudgingly was semi-entertained, and I probably, you know, uh, Daryl knows me after all these years. I, I kind of, I will fall into certain things that, that are familiar, and I say begrudgingly because I know what I'm looking at, but, I, you know, it's on TV, and it's kind of cool looking, and it's not that deep, but uh, it is a pilot, so maybe I might be fair. Uh, we do have a tech billionaire. I mean, we have to kind of, again, kind of realize what's, what's, what we're looking at. It's, it's a tech billionaire. Justin Kirk, he plays a smarmy billionaire, a, a smarmy technologist. We know who that reminds you of. Uh, we know Justin from Weeds. I, I, I remember him from Weeds. Um, Natalie Martinez is the actress you're talking about. And uh, I just looked up the, 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 the movie that she was in. I never saw this movie, uh, Self, Selfless, from a few years ago. That's the movie you're talking about with Ben Kingsley, another sci-fi thing. So maybe I will check it out, but that's the actress. And her surname is Murphy. Once I heard Murphy, you know, Murphy is, is the female protagonist in the RoboCop film. So we see what's going on. Uh, the beginning. A not, that, yeah, that's not a, a not so subtle nod to yeah, Nancy Allen's character. Not subtle character. at all. Uh, the, 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 the kind of um, stiff and angry stereotype of the, you know, the stalwart um, sergeant as, as Ernie Hudson. We saw that also in Robocop, you know, the African American sergeant that keeps people in line and who's somewhat reticent, uh, reticent about technology. We saw that guy in all of the RoboCop films. Now we see him. I mean, I don't know why. It's, it must, it's written that he has to be an African-American kind of uh, alpha male. That's, you know, listen, it's, it's a good check against Ernie Hudson's been playing that kind of character for the last 40 years. So it is, it is what it is. I'll stick with it. But it, it is something that we have to make note of that they really went by a play-by-the-numbers kind of thing. You see all this stuff. The, the African-American best friend, where these two are kind of going at it the way. But I thought that the way that, it, that I know as, as, as a person who, who um, appreciates friends and that kind of thing. I mean, not that everybody doesn't do that. But uh, the ribbing that I saw between Tony Stark and uh, Terrence Howard, I really, I really liked seeing that in Iron Man, where you're angry at your friend, and then the next thing you know, you know, well, in the uh, on the plane there were women in strip clubs and all that kind of thing. I don't want to go into that, but I understand that kind of male bonding thing. Um, it's also like a Spider-Man uh, comic book thing where the best friend dies. You know, someone someone who's close to you has to die in order for you to get it, and then you move forward. So that's pretty much a superhero comic book trope. We'll see how it progresses if it if it continues if it's allowed. You know, these kind of sci-fi. Dramas don't necessarily work that well for Fox. Fox keeps on making them, making them, and then they just kind of disappear. So, you know, we will check for it at a later date. I'll, I'll stick around for a couple of more episodes, and then we'll see what happens. It's going to have to break out of the tropes in order for it to stick around and for it to be interesting. And even if it does, Fox is probably going to get rid of it anyway. Anyway, 
moving forward. Oh, I, uh, yeah, we spoke to, to, to the captain about it. Moving forward, let's talk about 24 Legacy, which I did not see. But um, let's go to the uncanny. I had to take his mic down because of the uh, background noise. Uh, did you see 24 Legacy, and what were your thoughts, sir? What I saw was a good start. <laughs> what I saw was a good action hero type thing. And I won't lie, it's refreshing to have a black lead, like, be so in control. But what I also saw was some of the same tropes that towards the end of 24, which got repetitive. Oh, someone in the organization is a traitor. Someone close to you gave up you, you know. So all of these same tropes are here. And if you are a 24 fan... This falls right in line with it. You're you're good. You're on the same highway, but if you came in looking for something new, nah, dog, nah, nothing new here. The only thing new is that we have a black protagonist this time. You know, there's a uh, there's a lot of stuff here. Again, with my military history, there's a lot of stuff here. Where I I looked at the screen like, oh, really? But at the same time. Because, uh, hey, Cap, I'm going to bring him that oxymoron again. Military intelligence. Yeah, yeah. This show never shows any military intelligence whatsoever. They're high-tech They're high tech up the yin-yang. They got all these trackers. They're able to find all these things. But the basic thing of, hey, use a burner phone. Escapes their notice. Anyway, anyway, I, I digress. Again, if you're a 24 fan, it's still in line there. If you hated 24 towards the end because of the same, uh, the, the same tropes they kept on following, this kind of continues it. I'll stick with it for a little while, but I really wanted to – I wanted something more unique here, and it didn't give me that. Back to you, Afrenard. All right, let's go to the captain. Captain, what are your thoughts about 24 Legacy, if you did indeed see it? Well, I wasn't a fan of 24. So I started with this 24 Legacy, and I watched for about 20 minutes, and I was out of here. <laughs> really? <laughs> with Daryl. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I was never really into that. So I agreed with Daryl, and I said, more or less, okay, you got a black guy essentially doing the same thing. Okay, I'm going. You know, <laughs> that's what I did. That's what I did. What I do with it, you know. Well, it you know what it is, Cap. Cap. It, again, you you. Again, you're more analytical when it comes to this. I come into it from the oh, fanboy. Yeah, I, know I, am. Well, yeah, I come into problem. yeah, I come into it like the fanboy, and if I'm seeing the tropes, I know you are seeing it right away. Claire, did you get a chance to check out Twenty Four Legacy? Nah. Nah. I mean, listen, I had. Short tweeted to the point. That was good. Nah. You got to go with that. You got to go with that. I like that. Nah. You like that, right? You like that. I mean, that really says it all right there. But, um, you know, I had every opportunity to because uh, it came on right after APB. (laughs) But that just tells you. That just tells you that I, I willfully chose not to watch it i chose to to move on to something else to change the channel because listen i same thing with cap 
same thing. I was never really a fan of 24. You know, I'm okay as, you know, Kiefer Sutherland, I'm okay with him as an actor. You know, he's fine. But the the premise, as novel as it was, however many years ago, you know, we're talking about, like, what, 16, 17 years ago? I don't know. You know, as novel a concept as it is to literally do a show in real time, to do 24 episodes, to represent 24 hours, listen, that's very novel, very interesting concept. And at the time, it was very fresh. It was very raw. Uh, if you think about it, the, um, the whole institution of uh, Homeland Security at the time was new. It was new, and, of course, it was input because of, of, of 9-11. So, you know, I, I understand. I can, I, I can appreciate the reason why the show existed, why it was interesting, why it did well at the time. Was it for me? Nah, not really. Not, not really. And I just, after a while, like you said, uh, it, it became repetitive. It became repetitive very quickly. Because no matter what you do, no matter what you do, if you have multiple actors, multiple plot lines, and if you do the, um, uh, what's that thing that they did? They also did it in Burn Notice. They do it, they do it in a lot of action and spy uh, espionage shows. Split screen. Doing the split screen, and you've got like three or four different things going on simultaneously or three or four different um, perspectives of a similar, you know, situation or whatever going on simultaneously, no matter what you do to try to juice up the energy, 24 episodes is a lot, especially for something that has to be so kinetic and very um, plot-driven, action-driven, explosion-driven, twist. Oh, I can't trust him. Oh, there's a traitor in the house. Uh, Same thing that we've seen how many times. So, you know, you fall off. You fall off quickly. And while I'm all for having a black guy, you know, be the lead guy, you know, I'm all for it. I'm all for having, you know, more color, more inclusion, more representation. Again, I'm I'm not for repetition. I'm not for redundant. And ultimately, that's what this felt like. Okay, so we basically got a black guy doing the exact same thing. And if I didn't love the premise that much before, I'm sure as hell not going to love it that much now to commit to 24 episodes. So that's where I'm at. Well, I, I must confess that um, the 24 franchise I was familiar with, and I have, I've had, I have friends that loved 24 in the original, original incarnation with Keeper Sutherland. They were they loved it, and um, I think that might have been the beginning of so much TV where I just didn't have enough time to really get into it. So I I, I have to admit, just like everybody else has, has spoken, I just haven't had enough time. I'm, it's like the GOT uh, Game Game of Thrones. I know it's good. I'm aware of it. Um, it's hard to commit the time to, to to really. I mean, some things are going to be missed. So I, I guess I'm I'm out, off that train. But I, I will say that my interest in this was somewhat peaked because of the African-American protagonist. Um, but I have yet to see the thing. I, I will make some time to see what all the fuss is about. But 
Uh, I do feel like I wish I had seen more of the uh, Kiefer Sutherland version of it, but I literally missed that. I missed that train, and they even brought it back. Oh, what a year ago, two years ago, they brought back Kiefer Sutherland, and people were kind of goo goo gaga about that. So, um, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but I don't know. Minute, because nostalgia, nostalgia is a very powerful thing, but that can only get you so far. Because yes, they did bring it back for a hot minute. But was it as received as well as the original? Hell no. Same thing for X-Files. X-Files, they brought it back for like, what, six episodes? And frankly, those episodes were weak. Let's face it. You can never go home again. X-Files, for what, what, it, for what it was when it first came out, I'm it was good. amazing, right? But when they brought it back for this, you know, revival, I'm sorry. But it sucked. It was terrible. All right, listen. Let's take a break for a moment. I see that our friend from uh, the tri-state area, as well as Philly, he's waiting to chomp at the bit. I'm pretty sure he, he was uh, upset about the outcome of, <laughs> of the football game, of, of the Super Bowl, so he went right to, to quote-unquote Black Bauer, in, qu- in quotes. So I'm, I'm pretty uh, uh, interested in, in hearing his opinion of 24 Legacy. I did not get a chance to see Legion, but I, I am curious to see what are my co-discussants if they did get a chance to see Legion, what they think. So let's take a break. You did see Legion. I didn't get around to it. Yeah. Um, oh, you're laughing. So okay. <laughs> All right. So let's take <laughs> let's take this break, um, and then we'll talk about everything else, folks. This is the Grindhouse. We're back. The team is all here, giving you the best of urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul. This is Omar, Omar from the UK, one of my favorite artists, Vicky's tune. Featuring the great Robert Glasper. We'll be right back. Give you about two and a half minutes. Let's groove. No, no, no. 
Legion. I couldn't get through the first 15 minutes, so that got oh. turned off. Um, oh, just, I, I mean, I, okay, that was a little sensationalistic. Let me back up. Let me fall back. I just wasn't in the mood. To, I wasn't in a cerebral mood, and it was clear that they, the visuals were very cerebral, and I'm like, okay. I, I had a long day. I'm not ready for this. Let me put this on pause. Um <laughs> Now, and, and the Legion that I'm familiar with now, I'm an old, I'm an old head comic book reader. Wasn't Legion like an alien that was a like a metallic wireframe look in X Men? No, uh, New Mutants. No, right? no, not okay. that Legion. This Legion is the son of Charles Xavier, at least in the comic. Had the he was rocking the high top fade. Earlier than black people were. Let's put it that way. And <laughs> okay. and, and he, 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 each of his powers is governed by a different personality. Well, what, That's what, what, the what comic character version. Am I thinking of? What character am I thinking of? I think it was a new one of the new mutants or something. You're thinking of Warlock. Maybe that's it. The okay. alien that hung around with Cypher. The, yeah, oh, I that's that. Warlock. Okay. Well, be that as it may. I thought APB sucked. I mean, how, how many? How many? How can you make a guy flying a drone look cool? I mean, come on, close shots of his hands on the joystick, close shots of his eyes looking concerned, close shots on the on the uh, on the screen. Get out of here! Um, you guys pretty much put the nail in that coffin, so no need to talk about that. Um, now, Twenty Four Legacy. I will say, I think Corey Hawkins is an amazing actor. I think he does bring something that um, Kiefer Sutherland didn't. I think he brings, I know Kiefer was an everyman, but this is, I mean, this is a brother who's just trying to get by and, and, and keep, uh, keep his family safe. And maybe I'm prejudicial, but to me, he brings a, 
a more a more of an everyman, more of a he could get hurt type of uh, more of a vulnerability to it. Um, having said that, whenever the camera goes away from him, I lose complete interest. If I see one more show that puts these effing CW looking millennials in the show. You're done. You're done. Uh, CTU is the CTU is the worst counterterrorism unit because every year, every year there's been a mole. There's a mole this year, and the thing that really pissed me off was, okay, so at the uh, in the episode at the end of the Super Bowl, you had the wife. She was she was blasting. She was down. She was she she held her own. What did we get after that? Let me go store her with my drug dealing brother in the projects. Really? Really? Is there I mean, I know every property doesn't always have doesn't always show that aspect, but really 24, come on. Can't we we couldn't overcome that. This guy's a he's an American hero. He served his country. He served in Iraq or Afghanistan. And yet we still I know we all have this I know it's a part of our it's something that we have to deal with, but do we have to see it in everything? I mean, if Blackish can be successful without showing that, why can't 24? Can I just enjoy the show without seeing the old tropes and stereotypes? Is that too much? I'm done. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of turns you off as well. You know, when you start seeing this the same old thing, it, it is it is a it's like a 1970s thing. You used to see more of that in the 70s, if anything. Um, Let's go to the captain. Uh, well, we, well, I'm sorry, we already spoke about it actually. Um, let's let's move things a little bit forward. Well, you know, uh, Daryl, did you see? Did you see Legion? I'm sorry. Did you see Legion? Well, yeah, I I saw it and I used it to prep for today. Now, whereas I, I, I I'm I'm already on record saying, whereas with the X Men they wanted to go 70s, 60s, 70s, give it a look. It, it this definitely has a prisoner type trippy look, folks. Okay, but I'm tired of that. I'm tired of dating it. Everything about this, when you look at it, looks like the 60s, 70s. Now, it is a great head trip. Don't get me wrong. I'm liking the head trip and thing. The the viewers left to wonder. All right, is this reality or is his this or is this his insanity? And for the first, well, counting commercials for the first hour. You're left sitting there looking at looking at this thing like, are these events actually happening, or are these tainted by his own insanity, his own dementia? You know, there's funny moments. The his sidekick is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think uh, I I gotta look up the the actress's name. Sidekick is hilarious, but the last twenty minutes of this. Either will make it or break it for the viewer, all right? Because that's where they go. That's where you see the mutant connection in in full. That's where you see the okay. Now I see how this is a part of the X Men universe, and and that's for good and for bad. I mean, at by this point, by this point, right? If you're a mutant hater. And you you're you're you have a mutant or you're chasing a mutant, you should know you should take some precautions. Serious precautions. 
essentially, we we got the Wolverine scene in X2 here without Wolverine coming. But again, folks, you you got you, if you're an X Men fan, you got to see it to judge it. But I and I'll throw this in as a last dig, last dig. It is amazing how I can get the Jean Grey Scott Summers dynamic that I've been looking for in comics from places where there is no Jean Grey and Scott Summers. Fox, seriously? Seriously? Like, the way this this, this director pulled off the dynamic between uh, David and, I believe, oh, Sydney. David and Sydney. That standoffish, awkward kind of thing. That's how Scott Summers and Jean Grey were in the beginning. That was, except Scott wasn't this awkward. He tried to be more stoic, and, and, and Jean Grey was. Well, I can't even. I can't even express that because that'll ruin part of it for you. But if you are an X Men fan, check it out. Like I said, it's the X Men strained through the lens of the prisoner. And again, I put it out there. The last twenty minutes. Either totally make it for you or totally go. Okay, I'm going. Um, I'm I'm out of this bitch. You know that's that's just what. What? What's up? <laughs> I disagree. You disagree? <laughs> Here we go. I actually didn't speak on it, but continue. Continue. I didn't speak on it as a yet Afro nerd, <laughs> but you know, continue, doll. All right, but but uh, like I said, if you're an X Men fan. I would say watch the pilot episode so you can make a judge. I'm going to stick with it, all right? I got I want to see how it goes. But I, I, I will say this. I was wrong a couple of weeks ago when I, I, I looked at the preview and made a judge. They actually handle his powers pretty okay here, all right? It is pretty okay. And if you got eagle eyes, you will recognize a long-time X-Men villain, even though I don't think they'll call him what they'll call him. But if you know anything about Xavier, anything about any of the telepathic X-Men, you know this villain. And, yeah, yeah, that, that I geeked out for that. Back to you, Afrener. Uh Cap, you wanted some words about Legion. Okay. Now, you've heard people – I'm going to give you a few analogies here. You've heard people – Rap and go off the beat and then come back on, right? If you stay off the beat too long, regardless of whatever the rapper says, it doesn't sound good. Now, a show that goes a little off beat, let me give you a few shows that goes off beat, but they always figure it out. Doctor Who, they go all over the place, comes back, boom. You're like, oh, that was well done. They're British people, though. You know, you know. This show, to make, I'm going to give you the short of it. Black Mirror with mutants, all right? And the thing with Black Mirror at times doesn't work. Some of those episodes don't work at all. They go all over the place, and they don't come back on. But when they do go all over the place and come back on, it's an incredible episode, and you go, what did I just see? What did I just see? That was incredible. I think that's how this is going to be. That first episode was all over the place. What they really didn't, eh, they tried to tighten it up at the end, but it was still like, okay, what did I see? Did they really get it right? Did they really come back on the beat? I don't know about that. 
you know, as Q Storm said, it's a mind trip. It's all over the place and everything else. I think by the third episode, though, this is just me, you know, putting this out there. I think they will actually get it right. It has that Black Mirror type of feel. And sometimes when you're watching Black Mirror, it goes, this is like, this is crazy. I'm turning this off. And then you watch the next episode, it's crazy, but it just flows perfectly. That's what I think is going to happen with this. It's one of those situations. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. Let me speak to, uh, uh, let me make note of our stalwart supporter from Seattle, John Hutton. He says, I'm also done with X-Men. I don't care about Logan. I really don't care if Gambit movie, if the Gambit movie ever gets made. No interest in Legion. I'm halfway with Mr. Hutton on this one, halfway. I grew up with the X-Men. I grew up with Chris, the Chris Claremont X-Men. Um, I, I loved it when it wasn't so many books. But we spoke about this before. It, it, it's just X-Men over, overload. And actually, I'm not really that pleased with the singer-verse for, for X-Men. And now he's, he's insisting that we have to have his vision on TV, which makes it even more unsettling. It's one thing that I don't like the guy for the major cinematic properties, but he must stick around. First, we're, we're led to believe, in his own words, he's taking a break. He's taking a vacation. But he really said, I'm taking a vacation from major movies. So now I'm still leaving it open for TV. And we're going to get yet another X-Men property, which, which I'm not really familiar with. But unless the X-Men ends up in the MCU and they totally change that whole thing around, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of sort of not into it. I will check this out. I will get around to it just to be fair about it. But my enthusiasm is it's um, – I said, said this so many times on the show. Fox, to me, is, has a very – has the stink of the WB. The, the Fox Marvel is the WBDC to me. They have the same kind of corporatization of things. And when they do things right, and I've said this ad nauseum, like in the case of Deadpool, they are shocked that it makes almost a billion dollars because – Wow, they actually did it the way it's supposed to be done. They followed the script. So I, I, enough with these people. The WB, you know, again, even with their with their cartoon properties, I'm seeing so much in print where folks are saying that wow, you know, DC does a pretty good job when it comes down to their to their animation. Shocker, they actually stay pretty close to the the original originality of the what's in print. We get the the personalities of the characters. Personality comes first, and Wow, they do quite well uh, critically. Critically, people seem to dig the the animated efforts, but trying to transpose that to the big screen, they look like look at you like you're speaking a different language. So um, I, I I already have a, a bit of um, an uneasiness in approaching Legion seriously, but I'll check it out. You know, it's, it's a comic book on on TV. You know, that's 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 what gets me. Um, but I'm less than enthused. I want to move things forward a little bit. We have more more callers. Let me bring in another person from the DMV, and then I want to talk about uh, something I'm very intrigued about. I think that M. Night Shyamalan may have shaken off his curse. He was really, you know, the, the second coming of Hitchcock in the uh, late 90s and early aughts, and then somewhere I think um, – what is that? Lady in Lady in the Water? Was that is that the the movie that he did? But there's a number of bombs that just didn't work. Yeah, he he did Lady uh, in the Water. Did. It was it was atrocious. 
and uh, what was the other one? The hey, Q, man, Q, you're on fire today, right? Keep up the great work. <laughs> Lady the in the truth? Water, and uh, the was it The Village? Is that the other one also? Yes, he did The Village. It was what? a little better, but it was just, it, it was overrated, or the ending was twist for twist's sake. I, I actually liked The Village. I, I thought that the fact, I, I didn't see that this was, uh, a modern era thing, you know, it didn't come to me. It, I didn't listen. In looking at that film, of course, the hook of the film was we thought this was like in the, in the 18th century, and it turned out that no, this was just on on, on, an, on an Amish community. So, I mean, I thought that was kind of twisted to me. I mean, you know, but that I thought was pretty much kind of uh, the director going over the precipice, and he was he was just constantly floundering. And of course, you know, the 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 uh, the whitewashing example at its best with Avatar, you know, and this this is a man who is of, of Asian extraction. The fact that he couldn't he couldn't get Asian and Inuit people and this is you know, it, it just is absurd. Some of it, it just bothered me. So but he may be doing a self correction on the cheap. On the cheap. So I think he might be turning things around. Uh let's go to the D M V seven oh three. What's up? Hello, everyone. This is Bice for Life. Hello, Claire, Q-Storm, Cap, Daryl, Debert. Hope everything is well. Yep. What's up, man? Hey, Your thoughts, going? impressions? Great. Um, I want to sort of go along with the majority of of the, the clan in regards to um, some of these shows, but my, my reasons are a little different. The first one right now is just it's just too much. I mean, I have Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, Roku, but I also have a life. Um, there's just some <laughs> things I'm going to miss. That's just how it is. Um, APB, one thing I did say in the chat, I think a lot of the Fox shows, especially science fiction, they all tend to look alike, and you can't tell me they're using props from different shows. That's a good um, point. Sure APB, That's a very good point. APB really looks like they use props from almost human and Terra Nova. Yep. I mean, it just, I mean, I, you can't tell me it uh, does not. The only show I'm watching in real time is The Expanse. I, I, I really mm-hmm. enjoy that. I think Sci Fi Network, sometimes they have peaks and valleys. I think they're hitting some peaks right now. I don't know how long, but, you know, Sharknado will come up, Sharknado 5 will be here this summer, and I'll be crapping on it again. Uh. But, um, like a majority of you, I'm I'm done with the X-Men universe. Um, like many of you kind of grew up with the um, Claremont and the Burn and what have you, but that's in the rearview mirror. Right now, I think this is the problem. I think there's so many shows out here. I, I think either a lot of these writers aren't ready or the good writers are stretched thin or there's just, you know, just not enough talent to go around. Because, I mean, I'm just seeing pedestrian plot lines and shows, and I just think it's not holding at least my interest and maybe a lot of other people's interest because um, how the hell can a powerless, who greenlit that? You know, um, I mean, I know DC wants to go for humor, but, that, I mean, that's that's, de- that's dead on arrival. And I just think a lot of these people say, oh, comic book movies are hot. But I think, something tells me, I think we're kind of getting into a fatigue factor when it comes to 
comic book films and movies. If it ain't MCU and a cherry pick a few from DCU, which I don't want to argue with now, I think we may be it may be past the peak time, and only the the best is sort of going to bubble to the top. Yeah, well, I, I have to agree with you. Go ahead, Cap. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cap. Go ahead, Cap. Go ahead, Cap. All right, I'll go. I got. Well, Mr. Bison, Bison, you had said that there will come a time that this might happen, and we also said that here on this show about three years ago, and and you're absolutely right. I, I agree with you. You know, the queen will rise to the top, and a lot of this stuff is just you know. Throw it up to the wall and see what sticks. You know, the good stuff will stick, and then the rest of the stuff just drops to the bottom. So I agree with you as far as that's concerned. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. Yeah, um, I think that, that I wanted it not to happen because I love the genre, as, as, as our, my co-discussants and guests know. I love sci-fi and comic books. I, I, would, I would think uh, I would have um, uh, an inexhaustible amount of, of – of enthusiasm for some of this stuff, but I think it's, it really is have, I'm really having a difficult time actually concentrating on some of these properties because it's just, it's literally too much to look at. I mean, it's stuff that I, I haven't, I saw maybe the first five or six episodes of the expanse and I loved it. And then I fell off of the expanse. So I'm, I'm a little intimidated because I know it's like the third, maybe the third episode of the expanse second season. But I got to get through, I might have to see The Expanse first season all over again just to kind of get my bearings straight. But I knew that it was heavy drama, heavy sci-fi, l- limbs were lost in space. I mean, things I remember, um, uh, Thomas, uh, what is it, uh, what's the guy's name from, from Hung and from uh, The Punisher? Isn't he the main character in that? Thomas uh, Jane? Jane? Is he the, the main character? Yeah. So I mean, he's a. I, I like that. I like him. Who has the time? It's, it's getting to the point now that I get stuff that I like. I'm finding myself ha- having to look at the first episode three or four times because I'm falling asleep. I'm being absolutely honest. Not that it's not good. Um, Cap told me about Taboo uh, with uh, Tom Hardy, who's a phenomenal actor, and that's that is something you have to do heavy lifting to get into, but once I got into it, because he said it was a, a slow burn, he's very, uh, very um, adroit in the description, shout out to the captain, and I, I love that, but that's another, yet another property that I have to kind of do some heavy mental lifting to get into, I know that um, uh, my, our friend Aquaman, uh, J- Jason Momoa, he's in Frontier on Netflix, which is kind of, sort of similar to to um to taboo taboo deals with the um East India Company and in Frontier is the Hudson Bay Company so you know 18th century corporate corporate corporatization pardon me um it's heavy lifting but there's a lot of stuff out there i mean just i don't know how Things are getting green lighted. I don't know how things are sticking around because <laughs> who has the time? Can I ask Claire a question? They, Claire, are you there? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, what's up? Because there, because there are so many TV properties. I think you. I mean, I think I, I see from your profile, you're an actress. 
are there more quote unquote jobs out there? I mean, is it more? I mean, it seems like uh, actors should be in demand because there's so many properties out there. I know, you know, it's Hollywood and it's always going to be a glut of actors, but I mean, is there more work because there's just more television shows out there? What is it from your perspective? Because it's just so much as us, me as a consumer, but it should be a godsend for actors out there. That's true. You know, I think I might be the wrong person to ask in that sense, because for me, I've always struggled with getting auditions. I'm going to be real with you. I've always struggled with getting auditions or, you know, knowing the right people, um, you know, having casting directors just calling me up or having the right agent or having the right manager or having this or that and just, you know, having those relationships, those connections. Now, in terms of what that is, I don't know if it's just because nepotism runs rampant in this industry, in this town. Um, I mean, from what I've seen, from what I've seen, I mean, I don't, it's just, it's hard for me to gauge because if I'm going to be perfectly real with you, I don't have a very strong network, you know, I'm, I'm just now really trying to figure out how to build that. Um, it was funny because I was reading up on this, this Facebook group for this, this, you know, networking community whatever that I just joined and I was like flipping through you know all of their their posts and they said that oh yeah you know it'll be it'll be really inspiring because you'll see you'll see all of our members and how they're they're working or they're they're making stuff happen and I'm reading it and I'm like okay like maybe there's something wrong with me but this isn't making me feel better this is actually making me feel worse listening to everybody talk about all the stuff that they're doing and me, you know, I'm like, I ain't doing nothing, you know. Am I the only Asian that didn't get an audition for this one movie that has a whole cast of Asians? <laughs> like, what the hell, you know? So I I might not be the right person to ask simply because of where I'm at in my career or just because of my lack of, you know, connections or my my lack of having – properly schmoozed with the right people, you know, in the 10 years that I've been in L.A., I, I don't know. Logically speaking, yes, it would seem that because of the advent of streaming and because of the expansion of, of uh, you know, original content, that there would be more opportunities for actors, right? You would think. But what I'm seeing, what I'm noticing is that a majority, a good majority of that content is non-union, and so what that means is that if you are not part of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, that you know a lot of these projects can be made for super low budget, just casting a bunch of non-union actors and working for a non-union rate. You know what I'm saying? So all of this stuff, there's always a caveat, right? There's always, there's always a thing that while you think you're moving 10 steps forward, there's still about maybe four steps back. It can be a hindrance or an obstacle or something that actually might alter the numbers, skew the numbers slightly differently. Because, yeah, it seems logical. Oh, my gosh, we have all these different channels, so many more shows, 500 scripted series, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, logically you think there should be so much more work for an actor. But my suspicion is that a lot of it is for non-union actors. 
a lot of it is for people who, you know, haven't been part of the guild or are willing to work for no money, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I don't really know. I don't really know. I don't know what's going on. And even with this whole thing about all these networks and studios trying to act like they are trying to embrace diversity, 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 part of me wants to say, okay, great, I'm seeing some progress, maybe here and there, you know? But the sad thing is some progress is literally seeing anything, period, as opposed to zero so I'm not exactly thrilled with what I've been seeing, and honestly, I'm not, I'm not, you know, banking on that. I'm not thinking to myself, oh, yeah, things are going to change now. Oh, because of Oscar's so white and because of the way things are going, they're really trying to push for, for inclusion and diversity. But the thing about these folks here in Hollywood, they want to act like they're so liberal. They want to act like they're so open-minded and, and embracing different cultures and different kinds of people. And that's why they're so quick to jump on the bandwagon of, oh, how dare so-and-so put a ban on Muslims or whatever. Yeah, of course, of course, we would expect Hollywood to say such things. But, but does their product, does the media, does Hollywood, in terms of what they produce in movies and television, do they actually, you know, do they actually rep what they speak of? Not really, okay? Not really. Statistically speaking, you know, out of all the movies that came out, you know, a year ago, none of them had, a, you know, an, uh, an Asian lead, you know, and that's not like I'm shocked. Of course, I already know that, but I'm just saying, like, I'm not making it up. It is a statistic. It's a fact. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to believe that things are changing. I want to believe that because there's so much more more content, that there's more opportunities, especially more opportunities for people of color. But I just, I just don't know. I don't know if I quite believe that to be true yet. I'm. Well, I kind of went roundabout in answering your question. I'm sorry, but I I I don't know. Honestly, I I, I just don't know. One quick thing to our listening audience again. Again, this is the Grindhouse. Uh, for our listeners that are on hold, uh, if you'd like to join in on our discourse, press one. That way, we know that you would want, you want to join in. Uh, many of our listeners are in their cars, or using their cell phones or tablets, and they just like to listen through their phones. It, but again, if you'd like to join in. Uh, simply press 1. That way we know that you want to join in on the discourse. Uh, and as a reminder, the call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Uh, we, we will uh, go deeper a, a bit as to what, uh, dovetailing off, off of what Claire was just talking about, because we know that um, uh, ScarJo, Scar Johansson has actually come around to addressing some of the whitewashing issues that are endemic in the uh, Ghost in the Shell, the forthcoming Ghost in the Shell film. And I, I even put this as a posting that, yeah, she, she addressed it, but not really. I think she gave a, a similar response. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, listen, no one's going to give up a gig. You know, we saw that with Tilda Swinton. I mean, they're, they're just, it's that liberalism that Claire was referencing, that these folks want to be, they still want to be perceived as nice, fair people, but it's very difficult to be nice and fair when you have a check coming. And it, and it takes a certain kind of individual to forego a check 
in, in respects to being honorable and doing the right thing. Oftentimes, people will not do the right thing. So I see what's going on here. It is textbook, dare I say, textbook white liberalism. I hate to put it that way, but that's, that's exactly what it is. You know, I feel for you people of color, but I got this check coming, and I'm not, I'm not going to opt out and do the right thing. There's one person, and I'm going to move along. I just got to mention this. Because as Claire was speaking, I was thinking about someone like a Cary Grant. I have such admiration for, for the, you know, for this icon, Cary Grant, because he appeared to be a man of great integrity. Um, now, we knew him, you know, as really representative of classic Hollywood, but he was also married to, at one time, the wealthiest woman in the world, Barbara Hutton. He was married to Barbara Hutton. Now, this is in, like, the 40s, and Barbara Hutton, I mean, let me put it this way. Cary Grant was an extremely successful Hollywood icon, and he was, he, he was wealthy, but he wasn't Barbara Hutton wealthy. But when, he, but when he divorced her, when they got divorced, he opted not to take any of her money. Now, you know, if you're, if you're married to someone who's that wealthy and you don't take their money, I've always admired that guy because, you know, that, that means he's a real, he's a real person. He said, listen, I don't need your money. I just, it didn't work out. I'm not going to take your money. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't need to get a stipend from, from you. So those kind of people operating in Hollywood, I don't know if you're going to see that in the modern era. You know, I just don't, that's just my opinion. But we'll talk about, about that a bit, a bit more deeply. Let's move things along a little bit. I'm very excited. I've been wanting, I've been wanting any inclination from M. Night Shyamalan to explore an Unbreakable 2. And it appears, for all intents and purposes, from what I'm hearing, that Split, the James McAvoy thriller, is in actuality. This is a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it, I mean, I, I've, I haven't even seen the entire film, but I've seen most of it. And I've, I've also uh, heard enough out there as far as other podcasts like ours. Well, they pretty much have said that this, is, this appears to be unbreakable, too. Now, um, before I even go into it, let me, let me pass the mic along. I don't want to hog the mic too long. Let's go to the Uncanny. Did you happen to see Split, and, and what are your impressions of this, this, this nugget that we might be seeing an a, a, uh, unbreakable verse, basically? No, I haven't seen it, and thank you, guys. If that was the twist, thank you for ruining it for me. Thank you, thank you. I was waiting for it, but I didn't need to hear that. You know, that that's beautiful. Thank you very much. You guys are bastards. Back to you, Afrener. You missed the spoiler anyway, so there you go. <laughs> okay, well, listen, it's already out there. The, the, the movie's been out for a month and a half, I think. Um, what makes it interesting, I have to shout out to Sergio Mims. Sergio, he's the first one that kind of, because I've been, I've been off the radar with M. Night Shyamalan. I was a big fan uh, I, as, a, as, a, as a pseudo cineast. I, I thought that, that Alfred Hitchcock was, was really the master, and he is. He's considered the master, a, a consummate filmmaker auteur. There, there are a limited amount of auteurs, and he is one of them, and I thought M. Night Shyamalan was his, was his inheritor until he started making these, these just god-awful films. He started out on a high note and just could not get out of of this 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 failure this this failure um, 
vortex, I would say. He was stuck streak. in a vortex. But, Just a bad, yes, a it, bad but, streak. So bad, so bad, in fact, that when Will Smith and Jaden Smith were, you know, developing and promoting After Earth, they, no one, no one mentioned that M. Night Shyamalan is the one that directed it. Well, I tell you what's what's funny is um, Sergio had said, and I did not, I was unaware of this, that, you know, he's kind of coming back because he's making these cheap movies. So I started looking at some of the movies that started, that that people are actually talking about more favorably, and they're they're very cheap movies. Um, I believe Split was made for around $9 million, but I think the box office take is like $150 million. So when you start, you know, when you do the math on that kind of stuff, that's actually incredible. That that is that's what Hollywood loves. Though that kind of those kind of numbers. So um, and also, he spoke a few months ago. Was it a few months ago? Maybe even a year ago. He, I saw some some footage where he was speaking about uh, um, the thought of an Unbreakable two, and he had said, and it appears that it's actually panning out the way that he spoke about it previously. He had said that if he were to explore a sequel. And I have to agree with what he was saying. I, he said he did not want to make the stereotypical sequel where, you know, we just go right back into, into Unbreakable 2. This is Unbreakable 2. This is Unbreakable 3. That's, it's, it's, it's emblazoned, on, emblazoned on a billboard, and, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very played by the numbers. So the way that it's working out for Split, honestly, I knew of Split. I knew the premise that James McAvoy is playing this guy who has, I think, 23 or 24 separate personalities. And I thought that we, that we have seen enough properties that deal with that subject matter. So I, I guess I glanced at it and had no idea that it was actually going to unravel into some kind of Unbreakable 2. So I'm not going to go for the sake of Daryl. And again, I have, even I have not seen all of it. I've seen most of it. Um, but I do know what, how they're describing the ending of it. But let's just say that it does seem to bring back uh, the notion that, this, that that movie takes place in the same universe as Bruce Willis's 2000, Bruce Willis and, of course, the mighty Sam Jackson, that that storyline. And also I, I, I thought that uh, I don't know if enough people connect that film to where we are today with superhero properties. But it was a, I thought it was a, a masterfully, done, masterfully done superhero movie without it being, a, a, you know, kind of like a, a, a capes and tights kind of thing. But it, it came out in 2000, and then a few years after that, we saw a, an ushering in of all these comic book sci-fi works. And I don't know if Unbreakable is actually in that same, in that same vein. But people do link it because it was one of those movies that was taken very seriously, very serious as, as, a, as essentially a thinking man's comic book movie. So I, I, I couldn't – it was very, very well done. So that kind of thing uh, is what M. Night has always been about. And I think something happened with all these clunkers that he was kind of fighting what he's good at. So he needs to he needs to start to embrace his em, embrace his kind of inner his his inner thoughts about how to make a movie. When he well, had said, "Listen, I don't well, hold on." When he said 
I don't really want to, you know, I really don't want to do things the textbooks way, textbook way. Yeah, go with what's in your in your you go with what's in in your um your instincts. Go by your instincts. I'm I'm glad with, as, as to what I'm seeing. Daryl. Well, I, I'll just say it this way. I feel he gets a lot of undue flack. Cuz think about it. Think about it. It is popular to hate on him. All right, it's popular to hate on M. Night. All right, and Lord knows for what he did with the last Airbender, I would like to throttle him. But you can't deny the dude's successes. And honestly, you you cut him out of the way, right? How many successes has Brian Singer had? How many successes has Zack Snyder had? I mean, successes. You know, when you think about it, M. Night has had more successes than they've had put together. Uh, I'll step back. I know I got a lot of informed guys there. But if you go through M. Night's bibliography, right, you can see, yes, there's bad movies. But there's also Devil. There's Unbreakable. I, again, I, 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 people hate on it. I don't hate on After Earth that much. You know, I thought I thought for a sci-fi to see a black family together in a sci-fi thing of a son respecting his father to that point, I thought it was a good adventure, and it was just a bad clunky ending on it. All right, but but for as much flack as M Night gets, there's other freaking directors that deserve more. And again, you want to come at me? Name the last. Good movie, Brian Singer is done. I'll wait. Back to you, Afro Nerd. Uh, well, the thing with Brian Singer is that his his box office is gonna. Is, that's what they're gonna throw out at you. Uh, there's a lot of things that are, that aren't that great. I mean, Zack Snyder. I, listen, I want Zack Snyder so far removed from this WB the WB projects, but he was able to garner enough box office receipts to kind of maintain um, buoyancy. So that that's what you're dealing with. Unfortunately, that singer, we can talk about, you know, what we think is not being critically viable. But when it comes down to what Hollywood is really about, about that green, singer gets the job done. But I want him off. Of, I, I mean, this is this is literally this is literally a clunky. Am I boring okay. you that much, Cap? <laughs> this is literally a twenty-year a twenty-year love affair. With that, with that property, going into television, and let's get somebody else, some new new blood. But again, I secretly want Fox, or not so secretly, I want Fox to come up with a Sony-like deal. I don't see how they're going to get away with this. But hell, I, I'm not hearing anything new about Fantastic Four. These people are, are vindictive at this point. They're vindictive. Anyway, I concede the floor. Come, come on, Afrolet. Come on. You know, Sucker Punch is one of the best movies ever. Uh-huh. Like okay. <laughs> I'd like some of the Chiba Captain's been smoking. Can I get some of the Chiba? Th- anyway. That movie was horrible. <laughs> I'm agreeing with both of you. That's all. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. Bison? So, uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's actually, to, I do have those. a bison question quick. Well, hey, bison, hey, bison? Not, he's not here, but go ahead. Oh, he stepped out? Ah, okay. I'll, yeah. I'll hold my question for him at a later date then. Go right ahead. All right, let's go to, let's go to another call. 
Welcome to the Grindhouse. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. What's up? John Hutton, man. Hey, Jay, hey, what's, what's up? up hey, John. How's it going, guys? What's going on? Hey, Your thoughts? M. Night, I got to have my thoughts, man. I am a connoisseur of crap, and I just love this guy. Oh, okay. God. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Happening. I, we got to talk about The Happening if we're going to discuss this guy. And we'll get to the, some of the good stuff, too. But uh, any movie where you have the wind as your enemy, that is just genius. Yeah, I have so much concept. fun with these movies. It's amazing. You know, it, it's kind of like watching a Nuve Bowl movie. You know, you're watching something so horrible, but you can't turn away, and it's just fascinating to watch. Uh, have you ever got that reaction with some of his movies? Sometimes. I, 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 I will say, uh, you brought up the happening. I had that reaction with Lady in the Water. All right? I, oh, I, yeah. I know, I know Affinard likes it. I, I sat down no, and no, I, I tried. Did, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't like it. I never saw oh. it. I, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of Paul Giamatti. <laughs> Paul Giamatti Paul Giamatti is a beast and he was wait his talents were wasted on that film. But I, I digress. Go ahead. Alright, but but what oh, uh, it was written I, by a nine year old, man. I I I saw that and immediately I got the the King Arthur type type allusions to it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see some kick-ass action here. This is where Paul Giamatti's going to step up, and, 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 you know, this is where this is going to happen. And he remained the same note through the whole movie. And I was just like, they all should die. No one should survive <laughs> out of this film. No one, no one. So, so you know, yes, yes, John, I, I feel you on that, yes. Yeah, you brought up Devil, and I had the same reaction, too. It's... It's actually a really good idea for a movie. That's very Hitchcockian if you really start to think about it. But it's done in such a really dumb way, bad way, confusing way. I don't know what word you want to use to describe it. <laughs> but it becomes hilarious to watch. And I get so much enjoyment out of that. Yeah. So I'm with you. Well, I will go and watch an M. Night movie just to be entertained. It may not be in the way it intended, but, man, who cares? I'm having fun. I don't know what happened with that guy because, again, I was a big M. Night Shyamalan fan based on what appears to be his muse, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock, even some of the stuff that some folks um, may not really like from Hitchcock, and there's very few films. I think there's one film that starred uh, Jerry Mathers. Uh, it was the Shirley MacLaine debut. Uh, man, some, I can't remember the name of the film. But it's basically a comedy. It's a dark comedy, and that's considered to be one of, like, Hitchcock kind of lesser films, and I, I love that film. I can't, I'll, I'll look it up in a minute. But um, John Forsythe was in the movie, John Forsythe of, of um, uh, Charlie's Angels fame, a young John Forsythe, a young Shirley MacLaine, and uh, Jerry Mathers we know as uh, Leave it to Beaver. So um, that movie, you know, that goes, that's a testament to his talent. So M. Night Shyamalan, I thought he was the second coming, but this guy, I think something happened where he was fighting his instincts. Maybe he was listening to the studio, the studio suits. That will do it. Um, I, I have a, a real stick, uh, a, really a stick about 
about what he did with with, with uh, the last Airbender because I loved the animation. We know what it's about. We know what it's about culturally. This man is is is, is Indian Asian descent. You think he would know better, and he still managed to whitewash that film. I said, what? What's what? Let me. Well, this maybe he's not the casting director, but you would figure he would have some influence on, you know, commandeering that film appropriately. So he, he's had some issues with me. I think what's what's the TV series that was out? That might have been some of the turnaround as well. That was pretty good. Wayward with Pines. Terrence Howard. Yeah, Wayward Pines. I think he was. I think when he fights his instincts, he sucks. But when he starts to actually do what he really wants to do and making these films on the cheap uh, as probably what has happened is that he probably had soiled his reputation that they were only going to give him so much money but somehow he was able to dig, dig in the dirt and come out with some really good films and even the way that he's approaching this, this, this what, it, what appears to be a sequel to Unbreakable which I've always wanted to see it's masterful yeah thank you uh, yeah The Trouble with Harry the tr- I love that film The Trouble with Harry I think 1955 if I remember something like that that was an yeah, excellent film. Hilarious. I mean, you know, I couldn't stop laughing at the premise of that film. And it deals with death. <laughs> but uh, if you're a master and you make a stinker, you can still see the good in it. I don't see any, any good in some of those, those clinkers for um, M. Night Shyamalan. I, that's just me. But uh, hopefully he's on a real turnaround. I, I have to confess, I think he's kind of on onway, onward and upward again. Um, John, you're welcome to stick around. We've got to go to a quick groove. When we come back, I want to talk about this Iron Fist trailer. <laughs> I hope Claire Great. is not going to be too angry. But, well, we do see a Colleen Wing, and I think Marvel understands that they have an Asian problem. But uh, maybe the highlighting of Colleen Wing giving her a lot, a lot to do is probably because of guilt. However, it, however, however they arrive with the appropriate representation, they, listen, I, whatever they do, I just want to see more people of color. Um, so we'll talk about this trailer and among other things, folks. Again, this is the Grindhouse. The call-in number, you know what it is, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. All right, uh, real quick, this is Nao, more UK groove. Nao, get to know you. We'll be right back. Give you about two and a half minutes.
Neo, good to know you. All right, folks, we're back. This is the Grindhouse. We have a fully packed show with guests and my co-discussants, the Left Coast correspondent Claire Linnae, of course, the Uncanny Daryl B, Captain Kirk, and our friend John Hutton, also from the Left Coast. Let me get all the mics up and running. Um, you know, I want to make one quick notation. I think that uh, my uh, co-discussants might get a kick out of this. Uh, this is Black History Month, and um, yeah, it would be inappropriate for me not to mention some things. And I, th- This I'm somewhat obsessed with. I spoke to the captain behind the scenes, and this is a little bit of, I think, unknown history dealing with video gaming that is one might think of as kind of a minor thing. But it's, it's minor, but it's big. And this is a local dude, by the way. Queens is in full effect. Man, this is Mr. Uh, Jerry Lawson who's no longer with us. He passed on in 2011. But Jerry Lawson was a computer engineer who essentially developed the video game cartridge. Now, on the face of it, some may say, well, what's the big deal about inventing the video game cartridge? It is everything. Because uh, I... I remember, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough, dare I say, to remember some of the early incarnations of video game consoles. And when you, I think one of the uh, manufacturers was Telstar. And Telstar had these video games where the console was it. <laughs> we take for granted that if you were to get a, a uh, PlayStation game, or you can go, even go back to ColecoVision or Atari, that these games came with, you know, cartridges or they came with now they come with uh downloads or with um with cds but before that you know you would just get the console and the console was just one game and back then if you were playing like pong you know we you were enamored with this this blip going left and right and that was you know you you thought that was the end all i mean think about a, a blip on your screen and being enthralled for hours with that as opposed to seeing a completely immersive CGI uh, feast that we see, that we're accustomed to now. It's no big deal to see some of what we're seeing now. But um, the idea of having an, an, a number, a, a, uh, a measurable amount of games per cartridge, collecting cartridges and keeping the console, Jerry Lawson is responsible for that. So, you know, I shout out to Afropunk, actually. Afropunk... Always go to Afropunk.com. They put out this little tidbit about Mr. Lawson. But I, I didn't even think about it. But, damn, back in the day, one console, one game. Many years later, we take for granted going to GameStop <laughs> and picking out as many, well, not video cartridges now. Now we have, of course, CDs. Darren, what are your thoughts about uh, Lawson? You, you're a Queens native. Yeah, I think it's cool. And in this day where... You could see people jailbreak the old cartridges and and put in uh, hardware that 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 can support 400, 500, 600 old games. You know, I I I see that. I go cool, but then I see the cartridge and Mr. Lawson helped innovate that. So you know that that uh, you could you could be enamored by the new and still respect the old. You know, and without him. Hey, for every video game, you would need to buy a whole dang console. I mean, uh, people would be going broke left and right. <laughs> hey, so so we we need to thank him for that. And I'm not a gamer, but you got to respect the hustle, you know. And and he he went 
listen, I'm not buying a whole console every time I want to buy a new game. Hey, we we could essentially create these discs and and sell the games, and without him, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars is off the dang table. Respect, sir. Yeah. Back to you, Afrinard. Yeah, something, one quick thing, and then we'll move along. Um, I'm looking at his wiki page, and this is one quick thing as to the uh, – the company that he was keeping. It says, while he was with Fairchild, Fairchild Semiconductor is a company that he, he joined in the 70s. While he was with Fairchild, Lawson and Ron Jones were the sole black members of the Homebrew Computer Club, a group of early computer hobbyists which would produce a number of industry legends, including Apple founders Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Uh, Lawson had noted it, uh, he had interviewed Wozniak for a position at Fairchild, but d- did not hire him. So... Uh, well, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, moving things along, folks, let's, let's talk about this uh, trailer for Iron Fist, Netflix's Iron Fist. Um, you know, it, it has a storied history, obviously, because there's, there's, a, there's been this fight with Asian representation, and here we had a chance to have someone, you know, change things a bit. We know that the character was created in the, in the mid-70s as a white male, but because of the dearth of people of color, Asian folks specifically, this might have been an opportunity to explore having an Asian protagonist, even though we know the character was originally written as a white male. Anyway, uh, Marvel powered through with the original part of, of uh, the character. So now we have the trailer. Um, I like the trailer, but at the same time, there's a lot of criticism about, isn't this Arrow on Netflix? We're hearing a lot of Arrow comparisons. Oh. Um, but we, 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 Well, hey, hey listen, it, it looks a lot like that. So we're getting to the point where we talked about in the early part of the show where we started to see redundancy and tropes. So that might be problematic. But that is the origin. We must confess that. It's, hey, listen, it's the same origin as, uh, origin as, as Tarzan. Let's, let's keep it real, 100. It's the same origin as Tarzan. So, uh, Colleen Wing, though, we saw a second trailer where we saw, uh, not hard on the eyes, a, a young Asian woman who is proficient, uh, intelligent, and the whole thing. I suspect, Mar- they probably didn't think that way. This is what happens. They, these folks have to be forced to do the right thing. So, let's, let's, let's go around the horn. Uh, I think they're doing some, personally, I think, a lot of pressure, and they had to do some capitulation and some, some, some thumb, thumb snapping. All right, uh, Daryl, your thoughts about the trailer for Iron Fist? All right. You, you, know, you know what messed me up with this trailer? At the time, somebody put out a tweet talking, comparing Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee and like, oh, they'll be standing side by side as as martial art greats and I was like, no. okay. No. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. Okay, so I'm reeling off of that and then oh, by the way, here's the really? Iron Fist trailer and I look at it and I'm like, Oh dear God. I put my head in my hands and I'm just like I really did not need to see the Chuck Norris tweet before this because it totally taints how I look at this. Action-wise, it looks good. It does look good action-wise. My problem with it is the same thing, and I put this tweet out, and I 
I constantly keep on getting people fighting me on this, whether they're white or black. Some of my fellow birds got to check themselves too, all right? Look, there are at least three generations of Asians Americans that have been born in this country that most of them have never been over to Japan, over to China, over to Korea, over to India, over to uh, Thailand, over to... In other words, there are at least three generations of Asians born here that have never gone back there, okay? This is why I said there is nothing in that story that makes him inherently white. But if you were going to go with a white dude... I'm sorry, he still doesn't look like Iron Fist to me. He looks, this isn't Jason Stratum. This isn't um, Jeff Speakman. He doesn't look that way to me. The only way he looks that way to me is, oh, well, he's got blonde hair and, and Danny Rand in the comics got blonde hair. He is gangly. He, he is not graceful whatsoever. I mean, in the fight, you can make anybody, but let's be truthful. In the fight scenes, half of the time, that's his stunt double fighting. All right? Let, let's call a spade a spade here, folks. Okay? And that's why when I see a Lewis Tan, <laughs> when, when I see the other Asian gentleman brought up for this, I, 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 I want to wring somebody's neck. I, I simply just, like, uh-uh. I mean, it would have been cool. You could have had the same dynamic, right? But I digress. I digress, all right? I, I lo I, the one thing in there I loved, I loved the, 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 the juxtaposition of the courtroom and the battlefield. Or the courtroom, or not courtroom, the boardroom and, and, and him finding Kun Lun. And I love that part of the trailer. It's just this one little thing is not a little thing. This is a big thing. And and watching it and, and seeing how intolerant my fellow fans, my fellow nerds were with this. You know, we will get to the Scarlett Johansson BS in a second. But just seeing the intolerance and not understanding where... My Asian American brothers and sisters were coming from with this, not opening up your mind to this. It may be to this this series' detriment, and it's the first Netflix series that I'll say that this is this. They they they're gonna hurt because a lot of people passing the word of mouth are the same people criticizing this. Back to you, Afrinerd. Okay, let me let me say a couple of things, um, and then I'll pass the mic around. My. Maybe because I, I'm really beginning to appreciate the subtlety of M. Night with the last discussion. If Marvel were to be, is going to be smart, and Marvel has been smart when it comes down to kind of turning things around, and I think they know, at least I hope they know, that they have a blind spot when it's coming down to the Asian-American representation. Now, we've seen black folk have, there's been a correction with, with at least so far. We have to admit there's been a correction with, uh, black folk being represented in a certain way in the Marvel Universe, there could be room for improvement. But let's you know, let's be honest. There's some things going down. But they had to be they had to be forced. You have to remember, um, 
uh, Mr. S- D. Esposito, Luis Esposito, he was talking all this ish about, well, you know, uh, the logistics of putting together a film about uh, an African country and this, that, and other. You know, it's going to be hard. I said, wait a minute. Asgard doesn't exist in real life. You were able to create that out of your ass. So somehow with enough people saying, you're going to make Black Panther? You're going to make Black Panther? Are you going to really do it? You're going to do it? They were put into a corner. Now, uh, if they were to be smart with this Iron Fist thing, you have Kun Lun, right? Uh, I've, I've said this on the show. I, I grew up with the Iron Fist character, but I've always loved the Shang-Chi character better because he's definitely a, 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 listen, he's Bruce Lee for all intents and purposes at the height of the martial arts uh, 70s and uh, you know 70s and 80s martial arts film era Marvel capitalized on that and they came up with this, now it's rife with stereotypes and yellow perilisms and all that kind of stuff this, the same um Reverse engineering that they did to create this neo black exploitation Luke Cage, they're going to have to do the same thing with a Shang Chi. Now, if they introduced a Shang Chi, like his universe, through Iron Fist, in a subtle way, the way that they introduced uh, this notion of Split being connected to Unbreakable, that would be a good way, a, a, a good. Um, peace offering to fans of color and specifically Asian folk to say, hey, okay, we are correcting this blind spot. Now, are they listening to this show? I don't know. Do they give a damn? I don't know. But they need to handle this because this is becoming more and more very blunt. The fact that Scar Joe has to come out with some some half-assed remarks about the whitewashing issue, it tells you they got to do something. You, have, you can't keep on doing this. So I hope that I see Shang-Chi, and I think there's talk about it maybe, but they need to explore that, but they got to correct it because there's a lot, of, a lot of tropes in that, you know, the whole Fu Manchu. I mean, his father literally is Fu Manchu. That's a problem. So they're going to have to actually do some stuff. But if they did a J- James Bondian version, which they've done in print for Shang-Chi, it will be off to his easy. But, you know, hey, listen, I wish for a lot of things. In life, <laughs> I wish for a lot of things. I'm just saying. Uh, Claire, I know you have no dog in this race, but I- I'm kind of hoping that what I laid out might be a possibility. But what are your thoughts about it? Um, in terms of the trailer itself, I will say that I was underwhelmed. I mean, basically, I just felt like you know, compared to what I, compared to what I saw of Daredevil a couple of years ago. Compared to Jessica Jones, compared to Luke Cage, which, to be honest, and don't get mad, I haven't even finished Luke Cage. Okay, that's on my list as well, my and my never-ending list of things to watch, to catch up on. So that trailer looked pretty generic to me. Looked pretty damn generic in terms of you know the hero coming back to avenge, you know, whatever, or to take over his family business, to do right by his dead parents, to whatever, you know. Um, I mean, I, I just, I can't, I just can't. 
I mean, we just talked about this. We, we, you know, we, I tweeted it, and we talked about this months ago. Hell, we talked about this a year ago when they first started talking about doing Iron Fist. We've already, we are already highly aware of the fact that this is basically Oliver Queen. You know, this is Oliver Queen. Huh. His plane crashes, you know, rich family, and, you know, he's a lone survivor. He's trained by these monks, whatever, has to fend for himself, gets back to the U.S., you know, to uh, to reclaim his his life, his place in the world, his family, company, the business, whatever, and then use his newfound skills, you know, and abilities to, you know, seek justice and, and you know, fight, fight, crime, for, right. fight for, yeah, fight crime, fight for good, fight for the little guy. The story, in terms of the the underlying, you know, plot that that launches the the story, it's you know, let's face it, it's identical, okay? It's identical, and deeper than that, it's not as if we haven't seen this before, with Christopher Nolan's Batman, with you know, and that's that's actually a decent example. I mean, I'm not hating on it. Please understand, I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying it's we've, we've seen this trope, this story device before. So it can be done well. It can be done with some some quality of, of plot, of character, like with, with Nolan's uh, Batman. It can be done hackneyed and just stupid and terrible, like Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift where it's basically the same thing over and over again. A white guy goes to Asia, learns the ways of the Orient, is able to master it in a day better than all the fucking, sorry, Asians that are, you know, there, that have been studying it and living it and breathing it for, you know, generations, comes back to the U.S. or, or whatever, and is able to be to be the hero, to to be to be the savior, to be the hero that these Asians just weren't capable of being themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just I'm just so over it. And when I saw that trailer, listen, Colleen is you know that's I, I'm looking forward to seeing that for maybe a minute, if I'm even willing or in the mood to watch the pilot. I don't know. I don't know because I'm already skeptical. If she ends up being the love interest, so that she and her white boyfriend can fight crime together, I'm just like I I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, even with Legends of Tomorrow, which which I'm behind, I am behind. But you guys mentioned something that a lot of people have actually been saying, which I'm actually very uh, pleasantly surprised. For season two, season two. Everyone seems to agree that it's a lot stronger than season one. So that's great. That's great. They're really leaning into the mythology. They're really owning into the fact that this is absolutely a comic book superhero show. So with the whole, you know, Legion of Doom and with, you know, intertwining all the different stories that we've seen so far from Arrow, from Flash, I think that's great. But I, I do recall... Not not too long ago, that they went to um, 
I forgot what century it was, but they, they traveled to the past in Japan. And yes. the whole thing with the, the shogun um, fighters and, and using the samurai swords and all this stuff. And, and again, again, the quiet, meek, helpless, pathetic Asian woman has to be saved by the white boy, by the cute white boy. And I'm just, part of me, I was like, damn it, come on. You know, listen, listen, I'm okay with the sight gag of Ray Palmer, you know, the Adam, dressing up in Shogun, you know, garb, you know, trying to, you know, whatever. Okay, we we can play, right? We can play with this because that is the whole point of traveling through time and space, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna live in it. You're gonna dress up. You're gonna play. I get that. All right. I get the fact that with Vixen and with White Canary, they're gonna do their thing. You know, they're gonna do their thing. They're gonna have that cool, you know, shot of the two of them back to back with their samurai swords, ready to kick ass. Fine, cool. Do your thing. But when? That girl, oh, my God, when that girl, you know, quiet and soft-spoken, the victim, help me, help me, save me, cute white boy, save me from these mean Japanese men. Oh, my God, I'm so, I'm so nothing, I'm so helpless without you. I just wanted to gag. I was like, come on, what year are we? I mean, I know that's the past, I get it, that's, they're traveling to the past, but (laughs) but today, but today, in terms of storytelling, what year is this? And then I see the trailer for Iron Fist, and I'm like, nothing's changed. No. No, Colleen Wing is going to hook up with Iron Fist, and, yeah, I'm just like, no, I, I, I can't. I just, I don't know. Well, I, well, I, I don't know about this. Well, to be fair, I, w- I want to hear um, John Hutton's opinion, but I will say this. The, the, so far, many of the properties do follow the, what has happened in print. So for, for Iron Fist to hook up with Colleen Wing would be counter to what has been put in print. Uh, reportedly, he's supposed to be with another woman of color, and that's supposed to be uh, Misty Knight. Misty I mean, Knight. I, I don't know how they're going to get. Ar- I don't know how they're going to get around that because that has been a long-standing relationship going back from the, to, from the seventies. So for them to actually not go that direction would be kind of weird. You know, well, that's, that's, that that's defeats the whole. <laughs> that's what do you mean? What do you mean? It's not, that's not the depiction. It's we don't know yet. It, it's not that direction now. Uh, it currently yeah, exactly. Thank you, Daryl. Yeah, Thank you. Even currently, Dan, Danny, Danny's thing. not with her, and she's with Sam Wilson. So it yeah, it's not I'm, that direction but, now. Well, okay, but listen, I'm talking. About, I understand that, but that makes sense because it's like a. It's been like thirty four, thirty, almost forty years in 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 expanding this. We're talking about cinematically. Cinematically, they always follow like the the origins of those characters. So I'm I'm thinking, well you you make a point. They might go to the modern what's happening now, but for them you have to admit most of the stuff they reboot it back to the origins of the character. I mean we're, we're literally going to Kun Lun and all that stuff. All that is following pretty much the 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 origin, the early inception of the character. Like you know there's enough uh, there's enough out there to work with. You know, you have that, what hundreds of comic books. To reference for storylines, so uh, yeah, you know, Jessica Jones is with 
is with uh oh we don't we don't know, but he was she was with Luke Cage, so it stands to reason that you know. But we we will see. If they, there's going to be obviously Defenders is coming out this year also, so we don't know what's going to happen. But that's the way it's supposed to play out. Yeah, so we, we will see. Supposed to play out, but it might not. It might not. He might end up you know sticking with Claire. You know, Claire has become the the Rosario Dawson is the the the, the Coulson. She's like the Phil Coulson of the Marvel Netflix universe. She is the glue. She shows up in all of their shows. And honestly, there was a little something there. And then, you know, Luke and Misty had their little thing. So, you know, it's not like we can necessarily expect that they're going to follow in line with with the canon of the comics. To the letter, especially with what when it comes to Misty. Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. None of us do. But the way things have been shaped and formed so far, I don't see her with this kid. No. I don't see her with Danny Rand. Oh, here, well, right. here, and, what we've seen of the trailers. And it'll be interesting. But, but, it, it it will be interesting because. There's the like you said, Shang Chi hasn't been introduced. I'm looking for Dakota North, who honestly was Jessica Jones before Jessica Jones, because it used to be Misty with Danny, and Luke didn't have one set woman. It was Dakota North and Colleen Wing, and Luke essentially bounced between the two of them. And then when when Bendis rebooted or created Jessica Jones from the character Shamrock. A, a sort of a combination of Shamrock and Jewel, all right, when he created the Jessica, that's when Luke became, okay, it's Luke and Jessica, and that threw a monkey wrench in the whole thing. <laughs> so it, it's just going to be interesting to see because they got they got um, different avenues now because of how they set this up. But for for the viewers at home that, that are long-time continu- uh, continuity buffs, Let's see them step up Danny's game to put him on Misty's radar. Because, honestly, looking at it from the outside, yo, you've gone to bars where you see couples where, how the hell did that happen? If Misty and this version of Danny hook up, we all will be going, there is no way in hell this should work. How did this happen? Back to you, Afrinerd. Yeah, um... Well, listen. They they do things. You know, they do things for the for for the fans. Like the part in Luke Cage where it looked like uh, Miss, uh, Misty Knight was going to lose her her arm, and we may see that at some time. But you know, they were kind of playing coy with that. Literally, I I'm looking at this thing. I said, oh my gosh, she's gonna lose her arm. You know what that means? I mean, just you you know they're playing with us. So they they are going to hint at things because they do honor a lot of the source material because they know who's looking at it. They know that they know who the audience is, so they're going to have to kind of make allusions to stuff. We, we will see. We will see. John, uh, any thoughts on any of this stuff? Oh, I just wanted your thoughts. Um, I think for a lot of what I have to discuss, you kind of have to know a little bit about me as a person. Um, you know, growing up, I had really two heroes, and before anyone starts rolling their eyes, you know, let me finish on that. It was Bruce Lee and Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid. And I idolized these people not because of, you know, what they could do, but because of who they were, their philosophy, their approach to life, the way they see the world. And 
you know, as I got older, I actually had a chance to move to Korea, and I lived there for you know, almost 10 years. So that's also how I got mixed up in martial arts. I started taking classes when I was in college. Um, when I see a story like this, it offends me. It really does, because whenever I go into the into a dojo, there's always that one guy there that watched the martial arts movie and thinks he's a badass. They kind of humble him a little bit. And honestly, it's embarrassing for me because you're insulting my art at that point. You know, I've, I take this very seriously. You know, I take very few things seriously in my life, but, you know, martial arts is definitely one of them. So when I see a story of this kind of, I don't know, what would you even call it? The trope, I guess. It's so lazy. It is so offensive to me as a martial artist. It is so offensive to me as a person that I really don't even want to give it a chance because I've seen this story so many times. And every time I just, I don't know, I die a little inside, I guess. But, I don't know, am I overreacting to any of this? Am I at least trying to make myself clear? I, I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself too no, you you you're explaining you're explaining yourself quite quite uh, aptly. I, I guess my only thing is it is a trailer, and sometimes you know we may be digging into things uh, a bit too sharply because we we thirst for these characters to be portrayed in a certain way, and we also because of the nature of this program, we thirst for accurate representation. We want ev- we want everyone to have a piece of the pie. So my only concerns about I have a number of concerns with this particular property because. Uh, Marvel and Marvel Netflix specifically may be a victim of their own success because what's ha- what has happened is they have put out put up put out such a high standard of programming for the blurs the the nerds the geeks for people that love this kind of stuff martial arts fans notwithstanding also because that that's also an element in this as well uh, for those who grew up on martial arts films and that kind of thing and those who were we who grew up with Bruce Lee and and Gordon Liu and all these folks, um, we want this to be done a certain way, and it would be uh, it would really be shameful that to have all these other properties to be of a certain standard, and then here comes Iron Fist and it's below grade. So my only thing is I'm going to take a kind of a I'm going to fall back and look at it and kind of check out what's going on. They they we've seen Netflix do this where they kind of flip things around, there's a little bit of an intelligence going on. So I, I hope that they have some intelligence with Iron Fist, and I hope that even if in Kun Lun that they are, they are aware that you can't have uh, – it, it, it is what it is. You can't have kind of the, the, the white male hero really be so preeminent. What Claire was talking about with, with the Great Wall coming, with uh, a ghost in a shell, where you have – the culture is what it is. It, it is Asian culture, but then Asian folk are just kind of garnishes around their own culture. And we've seen this play, it play out really for so, for so many years where you go to Africa and Africans are not you – know, you go to Africa and yet Africans are not a part of their story. You go to uh, South America and South Americans, Latin folk, are not a part of their own story. So – I hope that there's intelligence in Iron Fist, believe it or not, and Netflix has set a standard. 
So now, now is the time to be whack? That's what I hope. I, I, I know, listen, things, not everything can last forever. All good things come to an end. But I hope it doesn't come to an end with Iron Fist. And, it, and again, it's just a trailer. So maybe we will see. You know, you have, you have uh, a lot of people, you know, top flight actors. I like the way that the Colleen Wing character is kind of coming. You already see that Colleen Wing is going to be like his guy and kind of telling, okay, listen, you don't know what you're doing. I'm going to have to show you. You don't know what you're doing. So already, maybe I'm pulling teeth. Maybe, you know, there's intelligence working in with this story. We don't know. We don't know. Cap, what are your thoughts about uh, the trailer? Can you hear me? Yeah. Well, I think Claire pretty much covered it. Nothing really to add or take away from this standpoint. So let's move on. All right. Uh, Okay. Well, (laughs) let's try to keep this brief because we've spoken about this to death and you know, but it has to. We have to. We have to go there, because you know, it keeps on happening. I'm going to go to Daryl on this. We see that you know, many folks are n- not necessarily the folks on this panel, but m- many folks we're led to believe are very intrigued for this Ghost in the Shell adaptation from the anime world and manga world. Uh, finally, ScarJo, Scar Johansson has come out and had sa- has said some words about the whitewashing controversy that has really been attached to it. And again, I have to, I have to make note that this is not something that's going away. I mean, this, people are angry. This, maybe it's endemic because of who's our president now, where folks aren't having it, and you're seeing this, this, this divergence of opinion with groups. People are just angry on both sides of all these issues. Diversity is, is, is a problem for Many people, we see this is this is really what this administration is about, and this presidency is about. It's a it's a fight against people who want to govern themselves, who don't necessarily look like mainstream America. So anyway, uh, Scarlett Johansson comes out. Um, Daryl, do you recollect what she's trying to say? I, I think it's I think it's the, the the Tilda Swinton response. Personally, let me bring in Daryl. Let me look up for specificity what she how she has responded. Yeah, while I bluster about this, if you could find the exact wording of it, it's fine. Uh, uh, let me relate the story. We are at doing our Super Bowl party last week, and this trailer comes on. And I'm looking at it, and the visual effects are, are great. And then the picture of Scarlett Johansson comes on. And I turned to Captain, and Captain will remember me saying this. I'm like, they nearly had me. They nearly suckered me in. And then I have to see Scarlett Johansson with the uh, like, like her ta- her eyes tape slanted. They nearly suckered me in. I looked at that. Captain just laughed. Visually, it looked great. It, the trailer looks great visually. And and then once you see Scarlett Joe, like I, I admit it. I, I'm a Ghost in the Shell fan. I was, I was, I was like, oh, oh man, these effects. And then you see that, and there's just a groan. There's just a, oh, come on, like, and right there, I caught myself. Just caught myself. So then Scarlett Joe comes out with these comments, and I, I'm reminded of what uh, 
as Miss Hayek said to Jessica Williams, I'm reminded you brought up Tilda Swinton. I forget who the other Hollywood actress is with that. Look, when you make comments like this, all right, you're forgetting. You're not just speaking to uh, your own people. You're speaking to people who have the perceived notion, and in some cases, in most cases, the notion goes way beyond perception of being either outright ripped off mistreated, underappreciated, overlooked. They're, they're, you can't just essentially tell Asian, Asians, Asian Americans, people of Asian heritage, you can't tell them, well, let's just chill. We're here to do a proper representation of the work. When... They have seen their works and everything around them be either ripped off or, or sadly and totally just botched for how far back can we go with this? I mean, we, we could go all the way back to the – what was the name of the, 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 the Chinese detective? Right. Charlie Chan? Oh, you're talking about Charlie Chan. Yes, true. Yeah, we. Well, I think Charlie Chan was, play- yeah, Charlie Chan was did- played by a, was played by an Asian actor. I know, but, but just still- how the, but the was- character was, with yeah. all of the stereotypes and the things built into the character. I mean, you, you could go back and go like, this is supposed to be a character we're supposed to be proud of, but yet here's the stereotypes on full display on in the film. You know. It, it, when you make statements about we're trying and we're trying to be more diverse and uh, give us a chance, and uh, well, Claire could tell you they've had plenty of chances. It's been plenty of years. It's not going to change overnight, me, but you're not going to see it. Well, and, well no, let me go, let me get into let me get let me get into what Scholar is actually saying. Let's get because I found it. And all I, right, John Hutton's on top. John Hutton's on top. Let's, let, but let's get into this a little bit more, uh, you know, succinctly. I'm looking at Polygon.com, and it says, Scarlett Johansson has finally addressed the controversy surrounding her casting in Paramount's upcoming Ghost in the Shell adaptation. In an interview with Marie Claire magazine, Johansson said that she never wanted to take the role away from an Asian actor and wouldn't have accepted the role if that were the case. Johansson added that being a part of a franchise that stars a female protagonist is such a rare opportunity, she felt it was important to take advantage of the opportunity. Diversity is important in Hollywood, and I would never want to, fo- to feel like I was playing a character that was offensive, Johansson said. Also, having a franchise with a female protagonist driving it, driving it is such a rare opportunity. Certainly, I feel the enormous pressure of that, the weight of such a big property on my shoulders. When Paramount first announced Johansson would be joining the project in April 2016, fans and actors of Asian descent, including Ming- Ming-Na Wen, we know her, and Constance Wu, we also know her, protested the casting, calling it another instance, instance of whitewashing in Hollywood. Wynn said while she didn't have an issue with Johansson as an actress in general, she stood against everything the whitewashing of the role signified. Wu, who has been vocal about whitewashing and lack of Asian roles in mainstream Hollywood in the past, added her thoughts. I'm looking at her Twitter account. She says, it's like, 
it's, it's like way to reduce race to mere physical appearance as opposed to, say, culture, social experience, identity, and history. This is what Ms. Ms. Wu said. Now, the fact that we know in the early beginnings of this film that they were looking at a CGI um, way of making, the, making her look more occidental, giving her occidental features, that, I looked at that like, this is insane. Like, if no one can think that that is, like, offensive, it's one thing to say, okay, we're just going to have a, a, a white actress portray, um, you know, portray this character, the major, then, okay, that, that, you know, whatever. But it's another thing to say, to be so out of, out of sync to say, okay, we're, we're going to make some tweaks and start to occidentalize, if that's such a word, occidentalize her features. What are you doing and what are you saying? You know, once you go into that realm, it means you don't give an F. So uh, that's the part that is... And, of course, as soon as that story came out, as soon as that story came out, they denied it. They said, oh, no, we were just uh, experimenting with some visual effects for a different character. Give me a break. Give me a break. You wanted to slant her eyes up and really just, you know orientalize her whole, you know, facial construct just because, I mean, her name is Motoko Kusanagi, okay? Let's just, can we can we <laughs> recall that the name is Motoko Kusanagi and you hire Scarlett Johansson? Give me a break. Give me a break. And then for you to abbreviate the whole identity of the character and say, oh, she will only be referred to as the major. The major. Okay, fine. You're, you know, erasure, erasure in full effect, okay? And then, and then you come out and tell us that, oh, we cast an Asian woman to play her mother. What are you doing? Okay. Yeah. What is this? What is this? You know they, they, you know they pulled this with um, what's her name? Uh, they they pulled a similar thing, and no one really said enough about it. Uh, what's her name? Brad Pitt's uh, ex-wife now. Why am I not? Why am I blanking? Angelina Jolie. Yeah, yeah Angelina Jolie. She, she did a film on uh, the, the the wife of the husband, the wife whose husband was killed in Iraq in a beheading. Daniel, um, uh, I can't remember his last name. It was a very tragic thing. But the woman is is a woman of color. She's of of French African descent, fair complected. But she has, you know, she's a black woman. But they had Angelina Jolie tan her skin and wear kind of an Africanized wig. And I'm looking at it like, you know, like what, like what? But it, that that what? no one really. I mean, it was a there was a little bit of a stink about it. But I'm like, well, like why? Why could you just get a woman that just looks that way? But you know, uh. uh But, you know, it's Angelina Jolie. It's Angelina Jolie. Just like what we were talking about with this whole thing with Nina Simone. It had to be Zoe Saldana. It just had to be Zoe. Listen, I have nothing against Angelina, Zoe, Scarlett, Tilda. I don't have anything against these women as people or actors or whatever. But there's something fundamentally wrong with this pattern. This is wrong. And her BS, you know, story, it's exactly the same thing that we've heard over and over again from Tilda, from what's-her-face, Rooney Mara, when she played Tiger Lily in Pan. 
Mm. And my thing well, is, is that do- when she went out and said, listen, I don't like being on this side of the argument. I don't like being seen this way or whatever. Yeah, okay, honey, I'm sure you don't. But what did we say? We said that had her movie, had her movie done better at the box office, would she have said those things? No. No, she'd be laughing all well, the way to the bank. Well, you know what? I, I want to I, I do, because we got about 60 minutes remaining, so I definitely want to hit other topics. So I want to say this one thing. These Hollywood liberals are, are as problematic as the stereotypical, quote-unquote, conservatives as well. Because I remember, uh, you know, everyone is lauding over Meryl Streep, Streep because of her comments uh, critiquing President Trump. But we, we have to remember, and I think we spoke about it on the show, that I think last year she was on a panel, um, I think a panel with the, the, in Germany somewhere, and they were discussing diversity. And then she says, oh, well, you know, we're diverse, too, and, you know, aren't we all African-American? Don't we all come from Africa? I'm like, what? So, you know, even the, <laughs> they, 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 they uh, move the goalposts. Thank you, Africa. Move- that's what I was trying to remember. Thank you. That's the one I was trying to remember. Like all At these people, time. honey, all of them, doesn't matter if it's Meryl Streep or Michael Caine or what was that lady, Charlotte Rampling? Oof. Now, she shot herself in the foot, man. That interview that she did, basically, you know, kind of intimating that, oh, well, you know, <laughs> we can't just give out award nominations for anybody, you know, perhaps. And she basically oh, yeah. was kind of intimating that maybe these black actors just aren't that good. You know, they, they yeah, didn't okay. deserve it to be nominated. That's why they just so happens to not have any nominations for, for people of color. Oh, well, she totally shot herself in the foot because, again, even though, like I said, they want to act like they're so liberal, you know, they want to act, but we know what's in their hearts. We know what's going on. We know that decisions are going to keep being made to put people like Scarlett and Tilda and Rooney and whatever. You know, it, it, it's she. She basically ruined her chances <laughs> completely because, again, Hollywood has to save face. They have to keep pretending to be extremely open and inclusive. But the sad thing is, is that many of them feel the exact same way. Well, and I the thing say is, this is that bugs me is that with Tilda and Scarlett, they said the exact same thing. Their their excuses are identical between Doctor Strange and Ghost in the Shell identical oh well the fact that it's a woman the fact that it's a woman is diverse get the hell out of here okay well we, we gotta move forward let me, let me just interject we, right. real quick after that yeah because time here's constraints go ahead people people who get up at one o'clock in the morning unless they have a role to play yeah they, you know the standing rule is they're gonna be full of feces that's just what it is man that's just what it is man that's just what it is, okay? That's all I wanted to interject. Let's go after her. Uh, uh, yeah, we've got to go forward, but I guess got to say this one quick thing, and then we'll move forward. Um, the only way this is going to correct itself, at least partially, is if it fails at the box office. And we've seen some of this stuff just fail miserably. Now, I don't, I don't know because Scarlett Johansson is extremely popular. She's, she's pretty much bankable, but it would be pretty interesting if this thing does not do what it's supposed to do. Uh, but I see that the folks that are critiquing this, they are clueless. I, I made reference to Collider. You know, I like Collider as, as, as a, a YouTube show. They do pretty much what we do. But when you see when there's no real 
even on their show, no real representation where people are kind of saying, oh, yeah, well, the white washing thing, we get that, but, wow, did she look good in that? You know, they just power through as if it's not an issue. Um, because That's not. part of the problem. It's so, not their issue. You know, I, it's not their struggle. So hopefully, so what do they care so hopefully, either way? It's like, yeah, so ho- okay, I, I acknowledge it. Let's acknowledge it. But really, wow, she looks awesome. We're totally going to see this. This whole issue of like, oh, we need more women. Yeah, we do. Yes, I'm not arguing with that. But I don't want to hear that nonsense that we need more women from Scarlett Johansson or Jennifer Lawrence. I don't need that to be the only voice saying, oh, well, the fact that it's a woman makes it diverse. Give me a break. I want to punch something on, when somebody says that. Okay. Oh, All right. on that note, but it shows it, – it does sh- – On that note, let's move, let's move forward. Let's move forward. We've got time constraints. Uh, we've got to talk about the, our favorite – this is something that uh, the captain brought up – our favorite vampire films. If anybody can remember them. Now, uh, now, Cap, I want you to take lead on this because you brought this to my attention, and it is pretty interesting to kind of discuss. Um, you brought this up, so kind of follow, you know, kind of get into this. Man, here's, here's the thing. Is this an idea, the thought that just came into my head? There's a lot of Dracula movies, vampire movies out there. I just said, you know, let, let's just talk about it. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. I'll start my good ones. I'm not going to go too far back. I'll let AfroNerd do that. That's what AfroNerd likes to do. So I'll leave something on the floor for him. And maybe some of you might go there also. Bram Stoker, Dracula, 1992. Francis C. Coppola, director. Excellent Dracula movie. All right, 1992. Now let's go to the underworld situation. The first three underworld movies. I thought were very good. Underworld in 2003, uh, Underworld Evolution 2006, and Underworld Rise of the Lichens. The last two ones were crap all up. I won't talk about that last one that just came out in January. It comes out in January for a reason because it's crap all up. And there's also one more I'm going to add to the situation. Wasn't great. Not as good as the Underworld. Definitely not as good as Bram Stoker, Stoker, Dracula, 1992, Francis C. Coppola. But it was decent, and it was better than I thought. I saw it, and I said to myself, oh, it's better than I thought. Dracula Untold, 2014. Dracula Untold, 2014. So I'll leave it at that for now, and I'll pass it back to AfroNerd. I won't go too into, too into depth with it due to time constraints. Back over to you, AfroNerd. Yeah, it may be one of those things, Cap, that we might have to go into the uh, into the, the non-live version. So to, to the listener, if you hear it cutting off, it's only because we're going into the podcast, maybe another five or ten minutes in the podcast, because, you know, we just, we, we're a very passionate group of folks, folks, <laughs> folks, folks. Uh, so these things happen. All right, you, Captain really does know me, because I do have a tendency to go back. Let's go back, way back. Um, well, I mean, Nosferatu, <laughs> the, the, the uh, silent yeah. film. I, I dig. I mean, just first of all, the visuals for a film that's almost 100 years old defies explanation. Sometimes you think that um, we forget there's some things that were done 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago in film that, you know, it, it looked real. I mean, that guy, the makeup on that was amazing. And it was really a template for what we see today. So I have to give a shout-out to the silent film Nosferatu. 
Then, of course, I have to talk about 1931's Dracula with Bela Lugosi. I mean, all of those – I mean, that, that was the standard for the Universal, Universal Pictures iterations that we are seeing to this day. They're, Universal is looking into doing a marvelization of these IPs, and it starts with Dracula in 1931. So I, I got to give props to those, those, those early, early iterations. Uh, in more recent terms, there's one film that no one really talks about, uh, and I had to think about it, but I, it, it's probably one of Nicolas Cage's better films. He wasn't in the. I think he. I think he was had a small part in the film, but he was a producer on the film. Was Shadow of the Vampire. The I, this, this, this came out in 2000. Shadow of the Vampire was uh, John Malkovich was in it, and, and Willem, Willem Dafoe. If you haven't seen this film, folks, you need to check it out. It's funny because it actually is the retelling of the Nosferatu 1922 film. It 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 harkens back to that, and har- but this time, it, it 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 makes it seem as if uh, the gentleman that played Nosferatu, if I can remember his name, uh, Max Max Shrek, by Jensen again, Max Shrek played Nosferatu, right? In this iteration, he makes it seem as if Max Shrek is an actual vampire, and he goes to this guy to get, to get him to play Nosferatu, and he's assuming that he's in character when he's actually a vampire. So he, he kind of breaks the, the, the fourth wall with Shadow of a Vampire. So I, there's something about that. That's when I thought as wacky as Nicolas Cage, whose surname we know is from Luke Cage, ironically— Nicholas Coppola is, you know, he's, he's uh, Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, for those who may not know that. Um, that's what I thought, that there might be some, some gray matter with Nicolas Cage. Uh, True Blood, as a, as, a, as, a, um, as a TV series, I actually like until, I think, the last season, something about it, 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 it just went into trope land, and I was out of it. But for a brief moment, True Blood, if people remember, True Blood was kind of a, was kind of a, a phenom. So uh, I'm, I'm just scratching the surface in, in vampire films, but I, Cap knows me. I'm going to go to the past. So passing the mic around, Daryl, some films you may be familiar with? All right. So um, you guys took a couple of the ones. Why? Well, I'm going to go off Sorry. the beaten path. I'm, I'm going to go off the beaten path on this one. All right. I will go lifeline first. And people are like, lifeline? What, what was life like? It was a British space vampire story. So it went totally off the rails. It was cheesy goodness. To me, a kid that loved watching Monster Squad, all right, that, that, that I, 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 I fell out of Lost Boys, okay? All right? So I went to Lifeline, and here it is, astronauts, Alien lands, like an alien corpse lands and sucking the energy out of everybody around them. And I'm like, it's not a traditional vampire story, but it, it sort of struck a chord with me. I will go Blade 2. The best of the Blade franchise. Blade 2. Mm-hmm. Va- humans versus vampires versus super vampires. What the hell is a super vampire? Well, it eats vampires and humans. You know, so the, the, 
And when you're infected, you're infected. There's no way back. That 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 that's cool to me. And, and Guillermo, it, you gotta mention you gotta mention Guillermo del Toro. That's when I first became aware of him. Yeah, that was his direction. Yes. All right. Um, and I'll go. Well, you went. You went True Blood. I'll go TV on CBS. Ironically, Forever Night. Vampire Cop. And you go like Vampire Cop. How does that work? That is where the cheesy fun of Forever Night came. For two years, I was addicted to that show because that it was so bad it was good. Let's put it that way. At the same time, same production company, I believe, that did Mantis and grew, eventually grew to do Continuum. And again, Forever Night is one, also has the claim to fame to be one of the first network TV type shows that was filmed entirely in Vancouver. And this was the 80s, 80s, early 90s, early 90s, all right? One of the first ones to be shot up in Vancouver, where they decided to make Vancouver into New York. And the first one I actually was able to spot, like, yeah, they say this is New York, but this is obviously, like, Canada somehow, you know? So, so that's that one's claim to fame. I mean, this, this vampire properties I want, like, Laurel K. Hamilton's uh, Anita Blake series, I would love to see that on TV with the vampires and clans and clans of uh, mystical creatures and stuff like that. That would be awesome, but it's a little adult. And Christopher Golden's um, vampire series, I forget what it is, but it's of Saints and Sinners, and, and it's four books or five books now. And that series where you it's essentially the the – the, the the Vatican's war on vampires, and you're getting it from the vampire sort of view, and different historical figures that were turned, like Hannibal, like um, uh, a couple of uh, Western cowboys. You know that 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 it 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 showed vampirism being an undercurrent of humanity. I would love to see that as a TV series. You know, it, it, uh, in many ways, uh, what's the one? American Vampire. I like reading those anthologies that Vertigo DC has because it harkens back to the Christopher Golden type stuff. I think that's cool and awesome. But, you know, there, there's, there's, there's good ones out there, and there's a, a whole bunch of bad ones if you, if you pay attention to it. Go ahead, Afrener. Yeah, you know, uh, I wanted I wanted to give the, the mic to Claire and then to our, our again our Stalwart supporter John Hutton because John Hutton's rattling off in the chat room rattling off some really stellar um, movies and one in particular I'm not going to mention but one is an obvious one that I didn't pick up on and I forgot it was in my head and forgot to put it out there I'll let him I'll let him have the honors on that one and I and I say this after having seen uh, Doctor <laughs> this is this black location stuff. Doctor Doctor Black and Mister Hyde, Bernie Casey, which wasn't that bad, and it's from, it's from that same time time period. And I wish I had thought of this one. This was like an obvious one, um, but I, I'll let him give I'll give him that 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 uh, 
that that range. Uh, Claire, well, I was, not, well, yeah, I was going to give it to, to to John because he's the one that's, that's rattling it off. Um, Claire, any yeah, thoughts, and, any ideas? Of, you know what? Go any, ahead and start film? with John because go ahead and start with John because I think my my uh, my line is about to cut out uh, just because the battery is dying. But uh, but yeah, just go ahead and start with John. I'll just say that when it comes to these uh, these movies like Underworld and Resident Evil. Vampires and zombies and all this, those two franchises either need to die or they need to be resuscitated at a later date. Because that, I mean, the last few movies for, for Underworld and, and Resident Evil, oh my God, ugh, enough, enough. I agree. Uh, John, you rattled them off. Yeah, I'll make what it quick because I have to go here. Um, Sure, uh, sure. Some of my favorites to begin with: uh, Dust Till Dawn, Bright Night, and some of the other ones I kind of enjoyed: uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, Blood Rain, Interview with a Vampire, and some of them that I just enjoyed because I am very, very weird. Uh, Blackula, uh, any of the Hammer uh, Dracula movies? Yeah. Any of those oh, I just really Lee. enjoyed. Oh, I forgot Christopher yeah, Lee. Yeah, that was a Good big pickup, John. Exactly. That was a big one. When he mentioned Blackula and Interview with a Vampire. And the Hammer Dracula films, that was like a major, that's like major, big time. That's why I leave stuff on the table for people to talk about. You see what I'm saying? It's a group effort. Uh, I want to go a few more minutes. I want to go a few more minutes to the podcast in the podcast um, portion because, you know, now we're no longer live. But I just want to mention a few things. You know, um, I spoke to Daryl through Twitter about this, and I, I never knew about this comic book series, and maybe I shouldn't know about it, but I'm curious. I'm curious about this thing. Uh, Fast Willie Jackson, Daryl. I'm, I'm obsessed with it a little bit because it, it essentially is a black Archie, which I was unaware of. I mean, I think I might have glanced at it at one point, but didn't really. Sometimes I look at things and don't really pay attention as, as strongly as I should. But explain. <laughs> The name is offensive or something. I don't know, but I'm curious. I, I got to get some of these books. Explain Fast Willie Jackson to me, to our audience. Uh, you just did. It's essentially Archie, okay? Uh, from the look to the color palette to the high school, it's essentially Archie blackface. And the problem <laughs> with this, the problem with this as they did this character and all this, if you read it today, Oh my God! You're groaning. It's not like black exploitation. Is it possible to have like D-list black exploitation? I listen. The, uh, uh, here it is, folks. The Archie humor is for Archie, but if you make everybody black in that, it doesn't really come out that well. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it doesn't really come out that well because all it is it, when you read it, it when you're trying to throw jive talk in for for current references, but essentially it's still using the same Archie template. It, it does not come off good. Back to you, Afrinard. Well, you know what, Daryl, this is when you have to really understand. I think Claire would appreciate this a lot. When you really see some of what how things were in the past and how people thought and how it's it's very hard to kind of move things in the in the future forward because where we came from, 
it's like little subtleties that were not that subtle back then. Um, I was looking at, I'm obsessed with Nubia. Nubia is essentially the black Wonder Woman. She she is um, a, a woman of color who is from the same place. You know, she's from um, the Mascara, and she is uh, D- Diane Diana's sister. And I remember because uh, I'm looking at this thing, and I'm looking at one of the panels where she's. I mean, it might have been her second or third appearance. It was in Super Friends when they had a comic book, believe it or not. Super Friends 25, and uh, she used the, the first utterance from Diana, Wonder Woman that we know, is, wow, this is Nubia, my black sister. I said, huh? The, 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 that goes to show you the mindset of the people that were writing some of the stuff where they felt that they had to telegraph everything. All she had to say was, this is my sister. I mean, if you have a sister of a different ethnicity, which, which is more and more common nowadays, you wouldn't say, that's my black sister or that's my white brother. You would say, that's my brother. That's my sister. But these little things, were, that's, how the, that's how the corporates, and it, there's still echoes of that even in today's properties that, that, we are un, that we're unpacking and dissecting. They still pull this crap. So when I saw Fast Willie Jackson, I got to make one correction with um, with uh, Daryl, is that it was somewhat multiracial. It was mostly black, but it was black and brown folk because, again, you have to remember, this is a urban Archie. And you can't have an urban Archie without there being Latinos in effect also. So you had, uh, you, you had smatterings of – you had the police. <laughs> you had the police. This is like 1970. The police, they were white. You had uh, uh, brown folk, and you had black folk, but it was essentially a black Archie. And the fact that it was called Fast Willie Jackson, that's, that's another way of circuitously saying black Archie, Fast Willie. You had, you know, Fast Willie. You know what I mean? But uh, listen, I'm going to look into it. I'm going to probably get a couple of issues just to collect. They seem to be collectibles. Uh, and also, I think one of the guys, one of the guys behind the scenes, it wasn't coincidence that it wasn't an Archie, it wasn't from an Archie company, it wasn't an Archie company book, but one of the folks, I think the artist, obviously, is someone that, was, that had worked for Archie was also involved in Fast Willie Jackson. I'm throwing it out there, it's Black History Month, might be a dark uh, history, but I was unaware of this Fast Willie Jackson comic book. It just, it, it just looks crazy. That it, it literally looks like Archie in blackface. I mean, that's that's the best way to describe it. Uh, one quick thing, and I want and we're gonna move along. Uh, have, I, I have the book, Daryl, but I didn't I didn't read it yet. Um, I I'm, I love this new Superman. You know, it's it's uh, an Asian in China. It's the Chinese Superman, literally, he has the powers of Superman. It's played up for comedy somewhat in the comic book. Gene Yang and Billy Pan are behind this. But now they're saying that I'm very intrigued by this latest issue because just to show you where we're coming from and about the whole yellow peril thing, the first issue of of Detective Comics has a very offensive cover that wouldn't play in 2017. Now we know that most people, when they think of Detective Comics, the only one that the only the only issue that counts is Detective 27. Detective 27 is the first appearance of Batman. Okay, we know that. But Detective One was more of a pulp comic, and it had a picture of Fu Manchu. I think it was the, uh, 
for or a Fu Manchu, Fu Manchu um, analog, and it's a very, you know, it's a very uh, cartoonish, very uh, over the top um, depiction of an Asian person, and that's the cover of number one, Detective Number One. So, from my understanding, this I think is issue number nine or eight of the new super, of of Superman, the new Superman. Yang and Tan are reintroducing that character, but in a different way. Is, have you have you read this comic book, Daryl? Uh, I have this comic, and I don't see that. <laughs> is it is it uh, the cover that you're saying, or is it in the book? Or maybe that you're saying? Or, may, or maybe or, or maybe it's forthcoming, because they already said that the characters, and this is the this is the part that was uh, also equally offensive. I think the original name of the of the character of of Detective Number One, the villain was called Fooey on Yui, which I mean, I mean, come on, that that goes to show you the mindset of 1935 or whatever it came out. Um, I think that I th- maybe this is what's coming up, but Yang and Tan are going to actually flip that trope going back to 35 for a new audience. So I, I see. This is when when folks of color are in, are in control, they're able to, to to flip these things so people understand. But I thought that I didn't read the latest super, new Superman, so I thought that this issue was it. Maybe mm. it's the next issue. Okay, okay well but there is going to be a. Go ahead, Daryl. Well, just to let people know, all right, I've heard this before. I've heard Superman fans go, "Ah, oh, I can't collect it because it isn't connected with the rest of the Superman universe." Wrong. Okay, and you you don't want to collect it, that's on you, all right? The latest issue for folks out there is essentially the the Chinese version of Batman comes from a collective, uh, almost like a dojo, and he essentially is fighting for his mantle. That's on that front. Meanwhile, Kanan, the new Superman, okay, he's essentially – going to learn to fight from a Donnie Yen type character. He has the powers, but he's never learned how to fight. Okay? In that subtle way, Yang is introducing the Chinese cultures, uh, some of their mythos, into these superhero mythos. Alright? I haven't heard what you're talking about. I'm going to have to research it and take a look at it. But... It is a very different spin. And if you're coming into this thinking you're getting a traditional comic book, you are not getting a traditional Western comic book here. That, for me, is part of the lure of it. I'm already a Superman fan. But seeing as how uh, how China is almost the king of the doppelganger, the Chinese realize, hey, the Americans have their own superhero. Why don't we adopt and, and see if we could come out with our own force? Sure, we have the Great Ten, which is their team of superheroes, but what would Chinese versions of Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman be like? And essentially, that's what this is. I, I, I recommend, uh, I mean, getting the first trade, I recommend it for like a different spin on how you would assume the heroes are. Now... Here's the thing about Yang, and people misunderstand this all the time. He is a student of the craft, all right? 
I mean, he's the one that has been doing the Avatar books that have continued after Sozin's comic. <laughs> I mean, he's he's uh, found the way to introduce little digs and little, like, retrospectives on Western culture through these Asian characters. So if he takes the Yellow Peril characters, I guarantee if he's doing this, he's going to, A, make them more sinister, and B, throw digs at our culture that you don't even realize is coming. That's how smart this dude is. Back to you, Afrenerd. Terrific. Um, one quick thing, and then we'll close shop. And this is a big thing. Um, Firefly reboot. Uh, many fans have been asking for this. Firefly, and by extension, Serenity. They've been, they've been asking for this. It seems like Fox, from what I'm hearing, is actually prepared to do this thing. Oh, but it won't, they will not do it. They will not do it unless Joss Whedon is, in, is involved. And I don't know if we've really heard anything from him, but there's, there's such a demand for this. Um, I, I want to talk about this, and I've got to mention the Star Wars uh, Netflix imprint that's also being discussed. But it's kind of on the same premise, that fan fervor has, it, it's kind of fueling some of this stuff. So um, what are your thoughts about I, – again, I missed the Firefly boat also. I was, I was in and out of that series. Um, unfortunately, you know that Ron Glass, who was an integral part of that series, he's, he's passed on along with 2016, which has been hellish for all of us. Yeah, um, but he was dead in the I, series I, anyway. Oh, that I did not know. But I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued about – you know, listen, it seems inevitable – that they're going to have to bring back some of this stuff because now is the time that it could actually thrive, perhaps. They might as well bring back Fringe while they're at it. That's, I, that's for me, my own personal thing. But w- what about Firefly, Daryl? And then we'll pass the mic around. Again, I would feel better about this if they said, oh, the Firefly remake is coming to TV and it's coming on sci-fi. I know people, some people have a problem with The Expanse, but Honestly, that's how I want Firefly to be. <laughs> the the full scope and range there, you know. I could see uh, if if it was sci-fi handling this, yeah. As soon as you said Firefly remake, I'm like, okay, on Fox. Oh, God. You know, there it goes. It's just a natural inclination. What what you, what you say with Fox? Oh. <laughs> Shoot me now. Back to you, Afrenard. Claire, any thoughts about Firefly? Were you on the Firefly train, or were you like me? And I missed a lot of this stuff. I was there, but wasn't there. Um, if I get cut off, it's only because my phone died. But um, okay. honestly, when the show came out, which was, I believe, 2001, uh, no. No, I was not on that train. I didn't see the show until several years later, more than a decade later, actually. Because I had seen bits and pieces, but to really see the whole thing through, the whole first season all the way through, that was, uh, you know, way after the fact. And it was interesting to see everybody because now, you know, you know where all their careers to them have gone in terms of Nathan Fillion, Gina Torres, Alan Tudyk, who is an amazing voiceover actor. And as you know, most recently he played uh, K2 in uh, Rogue One. So, you know, it's just it's just interesting to see where the show went um, with that. And, and even the movie, Serenity, uh, which kind of was created just to kind of tie things up. 
um, uh, you know, I mean, Summer Glau, she's kind of still, when, once you're in the sci-fi world, you're always in the sci-fi world, and she's definitely no exception. So uh, it was kind of interesting to see her show up on Arrow. But, um, but yeah, you know, it'll, I don't know, it's just people are so obsessed with reboots. It's like there's a clock. There's a clock. And if a property is like 20 years old, you know, 15, 20 years old, let's bring it back. You know, let's revive it. Let's reboot it. Let's try to, you know, resuscitate that franchise. But we see what happens when a lot of these shows get back on the air. It just doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't have that same magic, you know. So if Joss Whedon is up for it, then, of course, they're going to pull the trigger and they'll probably do maybe like what X-Files did, like six episodes, and maybe like, you know, a seven-episode arc or whatever, and that's it, a one-off just to see what happens. But ultimately, I, I'm kind of one of those people that I know just from all the different examples we've seen of reboot that these revivals, they don't really work that well. There's a reason why something had that magic or that cult following when it did. There's a reason why it happened the way it happened during that time. But the world has changed. The world has changed. The media has changed. You know, the game has changed. The way we tell stories, these actors, everything, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know. Like, even with this whole thing with uh, Charmed, like, obviously you're not going to have the same actors, but still, it's like, really? Really? Okay, next thing you're going to tell me, you're going to bring back Buffy or Angel or whatever. Let's talk know, about Dawson's it. Creek. It's been out there. Which basically, would you look at this BS, Riverdale? What the hell is Riverdale? I, I haven't seen it yet. That, I can't, I can't. That is not Archie to me. I that can't. doesn't resemble Archie Wait. Comics at all to me. What the hell, Riverdale? No, I'm done. I, I haven't seen it yet. It, it has to at least look like, it has to at least look like Archie. At least. I'll stick to the cartoons. <laughs> I'm just my own opinion. Um, real quick, uh, is Captain, are you still there? <laughs> I'm not sure if Captain's there. Uh, if, if he is not, um, I'm going to open it up still. And lastly, this last thing. You know, this goes, this goes into the whole notion, uh, what we talk, speak about in the show in, in, incessantly. Um, because of the success of Rogue, Star Wars Rogue, actually, now there's talk about having a live-action Netflix series. And I think it's 140,000 signatures to Netflix that get this done. Now, uh, I will say I'm intrigued. And they, they really want something that's outside of, just like Rogue was outside of the main characterization of Star Wars, and it worked. And again, we have to reference the diversity issue with that. that again, another billion-dollar-plus property, just like, uh, just like the Fast and Furious films, Diversity actually works, even though people would tell you otherwise. That's not the case. Um, that diversity, that diversity success with Star Wars, I think, is what's fueling this fan petition for a Netflix Star Wars imprint. So let me go back to Daryl on this. Are you excited about this? What does it mean? Uh, do you think it might happen? And, and do, you, do you think they need a lot of money to pull off a Star Wars Netflix imprint? Here's the problem with this, right? And I get it all the time, and, and we want the stories and all that. That's cool. 
the only way this freaking works is you got to get away from Jedi. You got to get away from the Skywalkers. You got to get away. You tell the give me stories of the old Republic. Give me stories of the Jedi Academy. Give me stories away from Darth freaking Vader. All right? This is the way this will work. The problem with, with, uh, with Star Wars fans is they'll say, oh, we want this, we want this, we want this. And then when you give it to them, oh, where's Darth Vader at? Where's Luke Skywalker at? Where's Han Solo at? Where's uh, Princess Leia at? Where's Chewbacca at? Excuse me, it's a big freaking universe. All right? We could tell more stories. But the, the, the problem is they want it, but they want the same old characters again. And that's where you get stuck in the continuity rut. Back to you, Afrinerd. But, but aren't they, to be fair, aren't they saying now that this fan petition for the Netflix series, that they wanted to, to, to be exactly what you described, that they wanted to not be – that, you know, that that it would work as a live action if it's not in that that uh, you know universe that that is the most popular one. I mean, because Rogue that, One, what, because because Rogue One was a separate ahead. story, they want something like that. And that. That's what the premise of the of the petition is, I believe. See, see, I would love that, but I have learned, and I know other people can attest to this. A lot of the same fans will say that in the beginning. I want that I I want to be totally separate. I want to be da da da. And then when the first episode the the major thing you're gonna get is where are these characters we grew up with? Excuse me, we're trying something completely new and going outside the grain here because there there was like thousands of Jedi throughout the order and we possibly know what, like fifty? So there's plenty of stories all across uh, whatever galaxies and universes there are, there's plenty of stories there. But when it comes down to it, the same fans that say they want something different keep on falling back into the same ruts all the time. So I can't trust them. See, that's where the Jedi and the Sith, you're not like us Trekkies. Us Trekkies... We we want our Kirk and Spock, but we'll love stories about other starships, too, because we know it's a new universe. We know it's a large universe. We can take stories all across the vein. We don't have to have the same characters. You folks, though, as soon as there's any little pressure, oh, we need the Force. Oh, we need Vader. Oh, we need Luke. All of that stuff again. So I'll believe it. When I see that you guys got that conviction, because um, frankly, I'm sitting here and your guys' conviction are, is a little weak. Back to you, Afrener. All right, you may be on to something on that one. Uh, I think you, Claire, uh, and myself, we're on Team Star Trek anyway. Uh, I like both franchises, but I, I, listen, I make no bones to, to say that I'm, I'm more Star Trek. It's more cerebral, and, that's, and what you just said is excellent. Uh, I'm always looking. You know how much fan. How much fan films are out there for Star Trek that are completely different from the mainstream Star Trek, and people love this stuff? But that's not because it's, it's real science fiction versus space opera. I'm just saying. Claire, any thoughts, and then we'll wrap up. Any thoughts about this uh, Netflix possibility for Star Wars? Um, 
sorry if you hear that beeping. I apologize. Low battery. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. I, uh, I kind of take it all with a grain of salt. I mean, they've been, over the years, every now and then, they'll intermittently mention the possibility of a, of a Star Wars live action, you know, type of vehicle, as opposed to the, uh, you know, Disney XD, Rebels, stuff like that. Um, I just don't see how it would be feasible necessarily because the thing about a space opera is the exact reason why for a long time agents of shield was kind of on the bubble but multiply that by 10 in terms of the difficulties of trying to get a show that is so visually you know reliant on special effects to help engage the viewer to tell the story um so unless it would be like a again a a one-off where the story arc would only last maybe, maybe 10 episodes, if that. And think about it. Westworld, Westworld, HBO, 10 episodes, $10 million. 1 million episodes, I'm sorry, $1 million per episode, right? That's the average, a million dollar budget per episode. So that's, I mean, that's staggering. Not to say that HBO and Netflix don't have that kind of money for a prestige project, which, let's face it, that's what it was. The only reason why you would put that kind of money into a project is because you hope that not only does it find its audience, like a Game of Thrones level of audience, but also because you want to get yourself into the awards circuit. You want to be nominated for Golden Globes and you know, Screen Actors Guild and Emmys and this and that and the other. You, you do it for the prestige. But but it is a, an amalgamation of of the West, you know, and very sleek, modern science fiction. So it's extremely pricey. And I just, to me, that's like the first thing that comes up as to why it's so difficult to try to uh, to get something like a space opera, something like Star Wars, that brand, onto the small screen. Right there, that's the main issue, is the budget, the visuals. You know, how do we make this work that, so it doesn't feel like some sci-fi knockoff? It has to feel legit. But that's hard because your platform has always been film. It's always been, you know, with you know, that, that scale, that kind of budget, you know. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if they they follow through on that. But I don't know. That's to me the main the main hindrance. All right. On that note, folks, uh, always a pleasure getting with you guys and gal to discuss all this stuff. We'll do it again next week, people. Um, I was going to get into the uh, Batman thing, but I just don't care. <laughs> I'm pretty much out of that loop. I know that you know, there's just more issues. Ben Affleck, we know he, he relinquished the director's chair. They have a new director, but now they're talking about scrapping this script. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a never-ending spiral down the toilet for the Batman and for the WB. But I wish them the best, but we, we, we can speak about this, and I, and my, I can feel, my, feel mine and uh, Claire's blood boiling over the WB's missteps. So we'll leave that alone for now, maybe next week. Folks, it's been real. Uh, we'll, we'll do this again. Um, again, uh, thanks to our Left Coast correspondent, Claire Lene, of course, the Uncanny Daryl B., and, of course, the Uncanny uh, John Hutton, Q, Q Storm, all the folks 
Um, we'll be back next week going out with Pete Rock, who's also a comic book aficionado. Pete Rock, Pete Rock and Grand Agent, this is what they meant. It's been real, folks. See you next week.